You're now listening to the Co-op Podcast on thecoalition.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Co-op Podcast. Yes, it's been quite a while. I'm sure y'all are wondering what the hell happened to these guys. We'll get into that a little bit later. I'm your host, Richard Billy Jr. Today I'm joined by Mr. Gary A. Swaby. How's it going, Gary? It's going very well. Thank you very much. And uh, it feels kind of good to be to be back here because I know it's been a while. So, yeah, it feels feels great. I agree. We're also joined by Mr. Tony Polanco. How's it going, Tony? It's going great, man. Co-op is back, so I'm feeling real good right now, man. I'm ready to get it in. (laughs) That's good to hear. And we're also joined by Mr. Austin Conway. How's it going, Austin? It's going well. It's good to see you, gentlemen. Likewise, same here. So, um... Before we get into what has been a wild week of uh, a lot of news at every corner, I uh, want to basically give an update, let you all know where we have been. Um, I think I'm going to start with you first, Gary. You can let everybody know what you've been up to uh, since the last time we've done a podcast. Um, so if we're talking last time we did a co-op that was a while ago and um a lot has happened um of course you know 2020 was a crazy year um Mm -hmm. and then you know towards the end of the year uh we had a passing in the family uh you know my granddad so you know um i was a little down for a while after that and then you know just other things happening like you know work work problems and uh, problems with scheduling and just feeling, you know, like I don't have a lot of time um, and a lot of pressure coming also from, um, you know, like the uh, the pandemic and like people who are who I was doing business with, they, they some of them had to kind of stop operating their business. So, you know, just things like that. There was a lot going on. But, um, you know, we did do some things. We did the Cyberpunk show, which was very, very good. I, I enjoyed that. And, you know, I've been, I've still been gaming here and there, you know, um, I, obviously I played Cyberpunk and, um, I play some Overwatch here and there. I played some Blaze Blue recently. So, you know, I've been tinkering a little bit still. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it, man. I've just been living life and, uh, I've been, um, I've been somewhat, you know, keeping track of what's been going on with, the gaming world and everything but um if i'm honest i am not always in the know now like i used to be in in what's what's going on like i don't check the news every single day just because there's so much going on between family work and then you know um trying to run the the website and everything like there's just a lot so i don't i don't stay in the loop of everything but um yeah um Uh, I have great friends, fortunately, that do keep me in the loop, and we, we're in a lot of group chats and things. So sometimes, you know, that keeps me up to date. So, so that's good. Absolutely, yes, I agree 100 percent with that last part as well. Um, as for what I have been up to, 
yeah, I pretty much echo what Gary had to say. Uh, 2020 was a pretty uh, challenging year. A lot of really bad things happened to a lot of people. Uh, for the most part, I, at the end of the year, however, started a new job as a web content UX writer for a company. Um, so a lot of the, the writing that I do now is basically writing how certain things function on a website. That actually takes up a ton of my time uh, to this very day because I started that job at the end of October. And ever since I started that job, I haven't really had been able to really do much writing on the website. I do occasionally write stuff because I did review Hitman um, 3, which came out back in January. And I also reviewed Little Nightmares 2, which came out earlier this month. So I still do contribute to the site from time to time. Um, obviously, it was a little tougher in the beginning because I had to get used to my work schedule. Now I'm used to it, so I'm in a good position. And obviously, the other thing I think with whenever you want to record any of these podcasts, it really is dependent upon whether there is some major industry news that's coming out that you feel you have something important you want to say on. Obviously, there was a lot that happened this week, so... Um, there's a lot that we want to say about what happened this week. So we felt it 100%. We definitely wanted to do a co-op for that reason. Uh, and to go to what Gary said earlier, as far as we have a lot of great friends in the industry that do a fantastic job covering, I have to tap my hat off to our guest, Mr. Tony Polanco, because Throwdown, stay on top of everything. So if you aren't listening to that show, you definitely should listen to it. Uh, they're very consistent. They always talk about great topics every single week. So, yeah. And with that said, we're going to definitely try to do a lot more podcasts as far as co-op is concerned as well. It just uh, it really depends if it's something that not only is important, but something that we can speak to personally. And of course, some of the stuff today is some things that we definitely can speak to personally because we're fans of some of the seriousness that things are happening to. So, should be a fun discussion today. Uh, I just hope everybody... I mean, it's, it's good to be back. So, hope everybody just sits back and enjoys the show. Leave us any feedback, comments, and engage in the conversation as well um, as we start to get into things. But, yeah, by the way, what happened was I kept yelling at Gary and Richard so much to bring the co-op back. They had to, you know? And so, blame me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a co-op at, man? What the fuck? So, yeah, no, I'm glad you guys are back. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, making sure that you held us accountable and stayed on us, on us about that. I, I want people to know, though, for a fact, uh, we still very much care about gaming. We still game, even if we don't talk about it all the time. Like, I'm in a group chat with Gary, uh, Tony, and our very good friend Reggie. We talk about stuff every day in there that happens in the industry. I just don't do a podcast every so often. But again, we'll get better about that now because I kind of feel like there's certain things to talk about. Um, so definitely looking forward to it. Um, and before we get into the topics we want to talk about today, let's also do a catch up with both uh, Tony and Austin. What have you guys been up to as of late? Austin, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, yeah go I, I'll go um, You know, I... I tr- 2020, I, I feel like I'll be the third person to say it. It was, it was just a really weird and terrible year. Um, it's kind of going, coming off a personal bad 2019. And um, from a personal standpoint, I am now uh, audio quality assurance analyst um, with a certain social media company that 
I don't know if I can name, but you probably have an account. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just playing what I can when I when I can. Just finished uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which I really enjoyed. Um, currently making it through Days Gone. And the mechanics, fantastic in Days Gone. Uh, a little tough to care about the story, but hopefully things will change. But um, I think, uh, yeah, that's just me personally. I've been at the grind preparing for a, a move um, and just working for a giant social media company, and we'll see what happens next. So Sounds good. Yeah, how about you, Tony? Yeah, so, I mean, so, yeah, yeah, I was going to say it's a kind of interesting. Like, what you know, what have I been doing lately? Like, if you guys are on the coalition all the time, you already know, you know. And if you watch my Twitter, you already know what's up. Um, but just to echo what you guys have been saying, yeah, twenty twenty, very strange year. Here, but here's the weird thing, right? And I'm not going to take up too much space, but it was like I began the year very optimistic, right? I'm like, yeah, this is going to be my year, man. I'm going to kick some ass, right? And then the Rona happened, and I felt really stupid. I'm like, damn, I was optimistic for nothing. This year is turning to shit and then at the end of it i'm like wait this is my most successful year ever like it like in terms of the stories i, I produce and stuff my presence some money i've made like bro like it was a good year like despite all that nonsense despite you know being locked in not being able to go to events seeing you guys and stuff i was able to do my thing excuse me for a second here my camera just went off uh i got too oh. excited i got too excited i hit the fucking <laughs> cord. um but yeah so, so 2020 very good year but like i said if you guys have been keeping up with me on twitter and all that you guys already know throwdown we didn't stop you know we kept going and going and that's part of the reason i wanted you guys to come back caught because you were one of the podcasts that inspired me to be podcasting you know what i'm saying like if it wasn't for the co-op for the war zone and and the little shocker shotcast all podcasts I've been a part of in some fashion like I wouldn't be here so I want to thank you guys for being back and you know encourage you I know you don't you don't want to do it all the time so I understand you guys you know have personal things over, but as much as you can got to bring it man because people need to hear your voices man you know especially you guys have been around forever you know got to hear those voices so very very happy um, you guys have uh, are back and um, you know if we're talking about games we're playing yeah you know here's the thing PS5 dope system but I ran out of games to play already Ran out of games. There's no more games, so I'm playing PS4 Uh-oh. games now. Um, I'm, I play, yeah, I went back to Division Two, got the platinum in that, and now I'm playing Monster Hunter World, uh, Iceborne, which is dope, right? Um, if you guys are asking me about Rise, no, I'm not. I'll wait for the PC version of that. I'm not playing that on no Switch. Get out of here with that, you know. Um, what else? <laughs> yeah, a couple games here. I just played the Outriders demo, right? And it's funny, Richard, you know, who last year I went to LA, you know, for that, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting how now it's about to come out. Game is cool. You know, it's not, it's not, it's another looter shooter. It's all right, but it's better than Avengers. So I guess that's already something, you know? Um, I, I call it, it's a little bit above mediocre, right? Uh, where Avengers is like uh, aggressively mediocre. You know, um, what else? Uh, Scott Pilgrim came back. That was really good. You know, uh, play some Demon Souls a lot. That was dope. Um, a lot of interesting games going on. Right? Again, again, since nothing's really, I'm just kind of just, what am I going to play? What am I going to play? Um, and Gary, you'll be happy about this. I'm gonna, I will play Bravely Default too, though, on Switch. So, got to get my JRPG in there. Oh, and of course, like everybody else here, I right, play some Cyberpunk. And by the way, that's what really like got me hyped when you guys did that Cyberpunk podcast. 
podcast because I hadn't heard you guys in a podcast in a long time. I got me hyped. Like, yeah, this is the fucking shit right now. My boys are back. You know, like I wanted to jump in there and say something, but I couldn't. But that's how you know it's a good podcast. When you listen to a podcast and you want to be in there, that's how you know it's a good podcast. So we did that. That's why I got back at you. I'm like, yo, Gary, Rich, you got to come back, bro. You got to come back. So I'm glad you are. Well, we, 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 we very much appreciate. Well, I can't speak for Gary. I'm sure he will say the same. I, I certainly appreciate you uh, checking out the show, encouraging us to return. And I also will add, I also like you that you had the line in there about last year. You remain optimistic because I feel like coming into this year, a lot of people have much more positive thoughts, or at least they should. Because, um, yeah, things are improving in some capacity. So... But yeah, just a lot to look forward to. Glad to be back doing the show. And um, yeah, that's that's all I had to say. Gary, you had anything else you wanted to add? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, I really appreciate, um, you know, Tony and, you know, a few other people who, you know, who have been on our case, you know, wanting us to make a comeback and who also, you know, gave us good feedback for that cyberpunk show. Um, and the thing is about that cyberpunk uh, podcast is like, you know, because we, we actually felt deeply about that topic. So it made it even better. And that's the kind of content I want to produce uh, going forward. I want to like make sure, you know, everything is something that, you know, we're deeply passionate about because that just makes the content better. And I feel like people engage with it more. Um, so. So, yeah, I hope that, you know, we can sort of replicate that feeling um, all the time. And, um, you know throwdown is actually one of my biggest inspirations for that reason because it's like every week there's like some sort of uh you know engagement on that show where it's like you can see the passion in everybody on the show like so that that's you know that's the kind of thing that gets me excited to make content like moments like that so so yeah yeah, no, that's what's up. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that, too, because I work very hard to get the specific topics. So sometimes, you know, I ask people like, hey, what do you guys want us to talk about? Like, talk about this release date. Talk about this announcement. That shit isn't inspiring. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and even the stories we pick, like we have like um, like this game gets delayed. That le- that's a like a like it leads us to something bigger. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I purposely try to search it. And you're, and you're 100 percent right. If you have podcasts that are just passionless, what's the point? Right. So that's why that in that podcast you did with Cyberpunk, it was fantastic. I was li- yeah, I was listening to it while playing Cyberpunk, you know, and it was like oh. making me think about the game in different ways and stuff. It, it was dope, man. That's what podcasting should be about. It shouldn't just be like regurgitating news or whatever. It's got to be like it's got to come from the heart. That's the like you know. That's why co-op has been around forever. You know because you guys you do it from here from the chest. You know. Yeah, it's gotta gotta add your own brand. Gotta have a spin. Gotta have a, a voice. So otherwise you're you know if people want just news they'd go to the big sides, but they want those opinions. They want your opinions. So that's right. That's right, bro. That's what it's all about, exactly. man. And, and, and the last point that I will add before we get to the actual topics, uh, the reason why uh, Gary said that the cyberpunk podcast was very passionate. Yes, we, we very much wanted to talk about that game. But Gary also told me that was his game of the year. So for that reason, <laughs> we had to talk about it. That's a hot take. Right yeah, what, I respect that. You know what? Like as much as that game was a disaster, it probably was my game of the year. To to be wow. <laughs> no, no, actually, actually, no, no. I forgot Final Fantasy came out, so no. Uh, Final Fantasy Seven oh. Remake was my game of the year, but Cyberpunk. You know, I, I actually did enjoy it, even though it was a catastrophe. So 
Yeah, Gary, if that game was good, it would have been my game of the year too, man. Like, because you see the ideas, they're there, they're <laughs> yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And, and and like, even like story-wise and stuff, like it was very inspirational. It made the, the, the brain go nuts, but it's like all those bugs, all these crashes, all this other stuff, just, it's yeah, it was not good, man. And I don't know if we're going to get into it later, but I I don't think they could salvage it, man. I really don't. Maybe I'm being pessimistic, but I don't know, man. I, I, thought, we, we, like, yeah, I, I thought they might be able to at first, but just the way things are like hap- like happening now, I don't think they will. Like it's just like yeah. it's like one catastrophe to the next at this point. Like it's there's always something going wrong. So Yo, Gary, you know something's wrong when the first patch, the first major patch they released, needed a patch. Exactly. Like, like bro, <laughs> fucking patch inception here, you know? I, I, You know, if I could say, because like, I have Cyberpunk, I haven't, I put maybe 10 hours into it, and I just kind of haven't gone back and tied up with other stuff. And frankly, there's other things I'd rather play, but I feel like, not to make it a conversation about Cyberpunk, but I feel like one of the issues is, the talking points were about how the game had certain bugs, but I feel like they should have instead, well, not exclusively switched from that perception, but also there were just some features promised that weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like it's, it's one thing to talk about, well, this isn't working like intended, but also you shouldn't forget the fact that there was a lot more promise to intend and it just, you know, it, it was yeah. a very beautiful Christmas box. Great packages, uh, great ribbons, but when you open it, it's it's a lot of a lot of air, from my perspective. Yeah, and I'll just say this last thing because you you're 100 right. That's why I say I don't think they can salvage it. You can, you can fix all the bugs, right? You can fix it, make it shiny. What about all that shit they promised us? That's not in there. I saw this one video. I forgot what post. It was an hour long of all the things the developers said were supposed to be in the game that were not there. It's like I don't think you could salvage it unless you take another two years of development, you know? But mm. That's all I'll say about that. I, I've spoken enough about Cyberpunk on Throwdown. You guys can just listen to those episodes, but it's a damn shame, man. Damn shame. Can I ask real quick, though, what is everybody's respective game of the year for 2020? Oh, Ghost of Tsushima for me, man. Ghost of Tsushima for me. Followed very closely by Final Fantasy VII. So Final Fantasy VII was there for most of the year, and then Ghost of Tsushima came and just surprised me because I wasn't expecting it. Here's the thing. Final Fantasy, I, I already knew it was going to be good. I knew already, I was going to like it. But with Ghost of Tsushima, I'm not really into samurai feudal shit. I just never cared for it. So if that game made me go, that's my game of the year. You already know something special. Kind of like the, the way the first Red Dead, made, that was my game of the year. That year, I'm like, I don't care about Westerns. That game made me care about Westerns, you know? So excellent game. And, and here's the thing, Austin, I wanted to get your take on this real quick. I love the fact that it's this massive open world game, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like you have just the right amount of content where you feel full, but not saturated like fucking Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Jesus Christ. You know, that was too much, but it's going to seem perfect. Perfect. Okay, this is a, this is a completely different conversation for another time. But I tried. I booted up Valhalla. I got thirty five minutes in. I'll keep the game. Couldn't get into the game. It's something that's been my big issue for the last couple of. Um, because substance for the sake of substance really doesn't capture someone's attention. Like I saw a lot of people being like, "Oh, Ghost of Tsushima. It feels barren, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You know what the game had in terms of content was completely appropriate for the tone. Yes. And if there were 85 NPCs constantly asking you to retrieve, you know, 10 flowers and you just have the objective zero out of 10, two out of 10, um, it wouldn't, 
I think it would have betrayed what the game intended to do. And I think like Ghost of Tsushima is my game of the year. Um, it's one of the games that's gorgeous and it's not a chore to play. There's a lot of gorgeous games that are chores. I won't mention them, but, um, yeah, I, I really like, especially when you throw down with a, there's something about those one-on-one fights. Oh. I wish there were more of them. And actually, to its credit, even when you fight like random Ronin, straw head Ronin walking around later, it still has some of those mechanics that feels like it's always, you know, the best at his game versus the best at someone else's game. It, it always feels like a clash of like Vader versus Luke. <laughs> yes. I really appreciated that. That's a great explanation. Um, and I, I'm, I, I'm also going to add that that is my game of the year as well. I didn't get a chance to play it until uh, right around the holidays, uh, back in December. But it, it, whenever I played it, I, I mean, I, I mean, I was on that game for at least eight to ten hours uh, a day at, at some times. So just you get you get trapped in, and then I'm also a player that likes to collect stuff as well. So, I mean, I still need to go back and finish some stuff on my way to getting the platinum. So, I I am going to go back into the game, but it's it was very it, it had me from the very beginning. It, it didn't take me a certain amount of hours to get into the game, like a few other games that came out last year that I will not mention on this podcast. But uh, yeah, uh, this game was just it's it's excellent. It's it's perfect. So I didn't have any 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 complaints about it. That's definitely my game of the year, and, and I believe Gary. I yeah, I already know he said Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII remake, um, and like, like you, like Austin, you were just saying, like, um, you know, you, um, you, you're not a fan of like, you know, games having a bunch of like, you know, content just to have it kind of thing. Um, I think that's what you were saying. Like, and I'm at a point in my life now where I'm the same way. Like, I'm much more like, you know, uh, quality over quantity, uh, when it comes to games. I don't, I don't enjoy time sinks anymore. Like, uh, a lot of those Assassin's Creed games, like, there's just so much littered around the map that you have to do. And it's, it's, it doesn't really add anything to the overall experience for me. Um, so I kind of avoid those games now. Um, I used to love any open world game, but now I just don't have that kind of time and energy. So, you know, I appreciate a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake that's somewhat open, but at the same time, it's very linear, like in terms of the story. Um, and, you know, I'm at a point in my life as well where I appreciate a good story, um, you know, and I've been... You know, um, I've been studying a lot of storytelling and things like that as well, and because that's relevant to what I'm doing, you know, with my writing and everything. So, so yeah, like, and just the way um, they delivered Final Fantasy VII Remake was perfect. Like, it was the perfect game for me because it's already a, it's a story that I already love, but the way they presented it was just so good, and it and it left you, it left it open to new interpretations as well. Like, um, I mean, I I have my I have my gripes with the ending at the same time, but um, also I do like that they they left it open a little bit for you to think about what's going to happen next, kind of thing. So I really appreciate that. So yeah, that that's definitely my game of the year. However, I do I do feel like if I did play Ghost of Tsushima, that would probably be up there too. Um, I I didn't get around yeah. to playing it yet, but at some point I definitely do want to. So. Can, can I say this real quick about Final Fantasy VII? Mm-hmm. I I started it. I haven't gotten into it much because I just wanted to finish Death Stranding. 
Uh, or excuse me, days gone. Um, I got to get to Death Stranding eventually too. Um, but something that Final Fantasy VII does that I really like, and it's a technique you don't see in a lot of modern games, is it uses static artwork in the background. Um, so you'll see like matte paintings almost of concept art. Yeah. And to me, there's something really elegant about that because I know um, uh, I was looking at some screenshots for the uh, for the PS5 port, and it's I think when they're going through, they did a photo mode sequence in the trailer where they're going through, and you can tell that it, these aren't rendered polygon backgrounds or assets, but it's artwork. And games used to do that a lot more, and to see kind of like something still do that, and to me. It's 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 a really nice touch. You don't see a lot of games kind of infuse those static, like actual pieces of artwork as back. Like yeah. Mass Effect, I think one, two, and three did it. So I'm very curious to see how they hold up in the Legendary Editions. But um, you know, the power to Japanese developers that they can still tap into some of those old techniques and still bring them like forward and show they still work. Yeah, and and the original game did that, so you know I think that's why it worked so well as well because it's like the original game kind of did that a lot. So you know, it's funny you mentioned. I, I forgot what movie I was watching, but it was like an older movie. I'm like, man, I miss matte paintings. It was Blade Runner. I was watching Blade Runner. I'm like, man, I miss matte paintings. So the <laughs> right Final Fantasy has its version of matte paintings. That is pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't see it like you used to. So I'm grabbing my charger. My phone is is getting. Getting drained of all this video. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Careful. Yeah. Proceed. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, start to get into some of the topics. Uh, obviously, um, there was some late breaking news that is happening today that actually happened right before we started recording. So I, I figure we should address that first because the thing is, one conversation that I did have with Gary a couple of weeks ago is that he was telling me that we should have a podcast where we talk about the status of E3 2021. So I find it very funny how the timing is today. It, is, it was announced that E3 2021 is officially canceled. Um, so very interesting timing. So on that note, I wanted to get you guys thoughts. I, I know that there was a, I believe it was a some speculation or report that they was thinking about having it as a digital only event uh, a couple of weeks ago. So now to know that it's officially canceled and it will not be at the LA Convention Center at all in the next couple of months, I wanted to get you guys opinions on this and what do you think uh, the future of E3 actually is uh, considering what's going on with them. So wh- whoever wants to go first. Yeah, can I, I go, I'll go first with this one. Um, because yeah. I, I have, like, you guys are the perfect people to be here for this discussion. But, because um, I, I, you know, I have a question I want to lead into. Um, but before I get to that, so um, let me just open up by saying that, um, you know, E3 is, is, is still very important to the industry, I think. Even though we do have, um, like, the, these companies do have the ability to stream their own events, you know, Sony, Microsoft. Uh, Nintendo, they can all choose to, you know, stream their own, um, you know, news or announcements whenever they want to, you know, at, at their convenience. Um, and that's a very special thing because they have a direct line to their audience and the customers. Um, but, I, but the reason I feel, I feel E3 is still somewhat important is because, um, as gamers, we, you know, as gaming fans, 
we need to be able to see and compare, you know, announcements from different companies. I think that's a healthy thing for us to, to be able to do, um, to match, you know, um, all the, the different announcements and all the d different studio offerings against each other. And then also it also creates like an energy, um, like, you know, a time of year where we're all excited um, and that in itself is special. So I think there's still a need for E3. Um, but the question is, do we need it to be a physical event that we go to, right? And I'm in two minds about that because, you know, for selfish reasons, I, I love going to E3 because I get to see all of you wonderful people. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who travel there, you know, um, every year and stuff. Um, and it's a special time for media folk like us. But on the other hand, the last, the last couple E3s I was at, I started to notice a shift where the, you know, the media is less relevant than they used to be. And influencers are, you know, are like the, the ones that get catered to now, basically like streamers, influencers and that sort of thing. So with that in mind, it felt like this, this doesn't need to be a physical thing anymore. This could just be like an online thing, really. Um, so the question that I want to ask you always like you know how do you feel about that like do you do you think that if e3 returns it should just be digital because you could still have like you know once the world opens up and everything's sort of back to where it was before right you could still have those small intimate media events for you know let's say um let's say uh activision is having a call of duty event for media um and they invite a bunch of media out like those little kind of media events, I feel like those are more special or more intimate anyway. Like they're, they're more of like an intimate experience for the media folk, um, for us to do our work and everything. Um, whereas, you know, E3, like I mentioned, is becoming more of a circus for influencers or whatever. Um, so I, I actually started to appreciate those smaller events more than E3 um, at one point in time. Um, so you could still have those those other media events sprinkled around the year and, of course, Comic-Cons and things of that nature, right? And then E3 could just be a, an all-digital event where companies basically just, you know, it could be a week where everybody just streams their, their offerings for the next year or so, like Activision, Sony, Microsoft, or whatever. So, you know, I want to ask you guys, like, how, like, what do you think of that approach? Like, do you think... E3 should just be all digital when it comes back or should it go back to how it was before so um, go ahead Tony yeah I don't uh, I'm going to agree and disagree with you at the same time mm -hmm. I'm explain why right I agree that we do need an industry event to keep everything Congregated to one week because we saw what happened last year right we had these little events every week and they were all just it just felt like everything was dispersed so thin. Nothing felt impactful, right? Whereas if we have one week of concentrated news, it feels more impactful because there's just wall-to-wall -wall stuff, you know? And since everybody's competing with everybody else, they have to bring the big guns, right? We didn't have that last year. It was just a bunch of these little shows, and they just threw out some information, and people were getting hyped and hyped, and really nothing came out of them. There was really nothing exciting, right? So I do agree we do need a industry-wide event where all the companies show off their best wares for the year, right? But I don't think it needs to be the E3 organization doing this, ESA specifically, right? They 
you know, if you guys have read reports, they charge vendors a lot of money, right? So why would a company pay like six figures or maybe more? I'm not sure. It's a lot of money, right? Why would they pay the ESA that kind of money to have like space, right? So I don't think any company, like if EC tries to come back, this is what I think happened with this instance, right? What I think happened was, because remember, ESA came out and said, we are doing one this year. They, it's not, that's not a rumor. They said, we're doing one this year, right? Contingent on how many people sign up. I was on third. I'm like, yo, nobody's signing up for that shit, you know, because it's too much money, right? <laughs> Look what happened now. Look what happened now. So I think, and I know it's going to sound really corny, but I have to give respect to Jeff Keighley, what he's doing. I think that potentially could be the next E3. Just instead of the summer games being an actual summer, just make it a week of games in June. You know, I think that'll be good. And Jeff has the power and the influence and the passion, you know, get, get, you know, say what you will about the man. The guy loves gaming, right? He loves the industry. I think he could pull it off, you know, one like a new version of E3 where we get all that E3 used to be, right? But in a better sense, both for people who are attending, because I, I don't think we're going to go back to the E3s where it was just us going media, right? I, you know, you're going to have the fans and mixed up. But at the same time, Gamescom makes it work. Total Game Show makes it work. E3, you know, E3, or not E3, but whatever takes over E3 can make it happen. Because ESA, that was a mess at the convention center. Those three years we went. Hot mess. You know, we couldn't get shit done because everybody was just milling around all over the place, you know. But at Gamescom, they do it very differently. They have media days, they have fan days. That's how it should be. So I do think once things go back to normal, right, with the fucking Rona gone or whatever, every you know, everybody takes a vaccine or whatever the hell we need to do to, you know, combat this stuff. Once all that goes back to normal, we need to have gaming shows again because those are important just to keep things going. But like you said, Gary, you got to have a mix, right? Like you have the big... You know the big shows like like Summer Game Fest um, or whatever for for the fans, right? Basically for fans, and then you have the smaller, intimate ones for us. I think that could be good. Uh, but E three ESA led, nah, that's done. That should, I do not want that to come back. I want some, I want some better to take its place. You know, I'm not I'm not mad at that at all. Uh, I do think um, you know that ESA like they do kind of need to be punished for you know the way they've been running things like really, like and and I know Je- even Jeff Keeley had a problem with it you know with how it was going so I I I actually agree like E3 does I mean ESA doesn't need to be you know that uh, establishment that handles the you know the Super Bowl of gaming or whatever like I think it's time for someone like Jeff Keeley maybe to take that over and um, you know, just to create that new energy. So, so yeah, I, I, I agree with that. How do you feel? So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have Austin go next, and then I'll I'll chime in. Uh, I was just gonna say uh, I, I agree with with the pre two previous points. Um, to be completely honest, uh, to piggyback off something Gary said, it really is of two different kind of minds and existences because E3 is awesome. But there is nothing more depressing than being there on that last day mm-hmm. where it, it's just like, you know, it, this is going to be mean, but anybody of significance is already gone. Uh, there's no one to, like, engage with and, and talk to. And all it becomes are really long lines for demos that you're that I've noticed over the years you're shown more than you get to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the video demos have greatly overtaken the play of them. Uh, to me, it's a, it's an incredible resource if you uh, are media or if you have any aspirations to get involved with the industry. Um, 
But the best about it, the best about E3 isn't that it. The the best thing about E3 has never been it. It's the separate events that surround the expo. Um, as a like, because God, nobody gets to play a Nintendo game at that thing. Never. <laughs> it's always the longest time. Yep. Um, E3 is worth experiencing for the reflective for the respective pressers as well as the events that happened the night of. And then, you know, a lot of that boils down to, especially that certain hotel in downtown mm-hmm. Los Angeles that everybody gravitates to. Uh, and a lot of that, what that does is that creates a space for you to engage with the developers that you want to talk to and pick their brain. That, to me, is the biggest kind of pull of E3, speaking personally. Um, I feel like as an actual, like, Show four, unless you want to like go to the top four and sneak through some of those rooms, which I have done. Unless you find those free hot dogs, uh, it's just not going to be as advantageous uh, as a show. You know, I think the only ESA related event I ever went to in tandem with E three was I think the party we went to, where it was it was um, like it was on Sixth or Seventh Street. It was the Stag. And I saw like uh, Adam Sessler there, who was—he was having a good time. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I think I got him emotional. I was like, I used to watch you as a kid, and he's like, Oh, that means a lot. But all it did for me was it created. This. But that was uh, largely for like networking and professional opportunities. So, as a venue to play games. I do not think it is worth having anymore. But for an industry event, which is effectively a giant mixer, it's invaluable. Yeah, I want to add something to that point because, um, th- and I've said this on Throwdown many times, right? One of the things that really upset me over, you know, when they started integrating the fans, right? All right, my first E3 was 2013. I had no appointments whatsoever. I went to a bunch of booths, played a bunch of games, talked to developers and all that. And because of that first E3, it helped me get to where I am right now. That was one of the steps that helped me because, it, you know, it was just developers there and, and, and the media doing this thing. Right. If I had started in the, in gaming in 2018 or whenever the hell it was, um, you know, when they had the, the fans show up, I would not have been able to do any of that. It, w- it would have been impossible. Lines were just going off forever and stuff. Developers, were, they were like segregated to the top floor. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I feel we've lost that 83, Austin. I think we've lost that, and it's sad. You know, that the indie guys, right, guys like us, you know, where we came from, they can't get that shot anymore. It's yeah. it's intimate. And E3 20, uh, 2013 was my first one as well, but I was a... I, I had written a few articles, but it was nothing major. I was more of a guest of Microsoft. But even then, because it was a more chill event, I think I uh, Ed Boone and I talked for like 45 minutes. Nice. And the fact that, you know... I could have a one-on-one with him and not be someone who it really went downhill when you had the fans treating it like a cosplay event. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I appreciated that like those earlier events had a more, not only like it's a weird contradiction because it was friendlier, it was more casual, but at the same time it was more professional. Yes. So I could be in the space and I could talk to, uh, uh, that's where I kind of became friends with um, uh, the lead designer at Naughty Dog. And over the years, now he's co-directing games. And 
And I wouldn't have been able to have that at an event that was super casual for the fan because it would have just come off um, honestly too transactionary. It's like, hey, I paid you know for this ticket, so humor me. But no, this was like a work event. So uh, yeah, I could tell. The 2018, I think, was the one they first started selling to the public. And it was just... I People were selling badges out the door like it was a football game that people were scalping. It was just awful. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, Rich. I told Rich and Gary, I'm like, yo, if this E3 keeps going like this, I'm not coming back. In 2019, I was like, I'm not bothering. This is stupid. This is a waste of my time now, you know? Yeah. Subsequently, that, that first PSX was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. That was yeah. great. Yeah. It was too big and too fanny, but no, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right, though. It's like, again, that had that chill atmosphere. We could talk to developers, right? All that's lost when you have all these. I'm not against having fans there, but you have a separation somehow, you know? Yeah. 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 I I think, like, the way Gamescom does it is perfect because you have your days where it's just media. Um, you know, I, I think it's like maybe two days or something like that with that are just for media. And then after that, it's open to the public. I think that system works because it's the best of both worlds. The media get to, you know, go in, do their work, do their networking and all that, do and handle business, essentially. Um, and and then the fans get to experience some of the stuff that's been shown as well. So if they if if they were to do something like that, I think that would work a lot better because when you have media people with you know appointments and, and all that stuff and you have the public there as well it's just chaotic like it's like you can't you can't yeah. get to anything on time like and you know oh yeah the timing just, thing is yeah that's exactly what the issue is with the fans also being in there um i want i want i want to say a, a few quick points i agree with everything that that uh the three of you said about e3 um, I, I'm, in, I'm of the mindset that I agree it doesn't need to exist right now, but I I absolutely will not forget uh, what I gained from E3, you know, because, I mean, that is the whole reason how I met all three of you guys. It was at an E3. Um, yep. and, 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 and to go to what Gary had mentioned earlier, uh, with, the, with the way that the site was operating back in the day, uh, most of the time, we all were just working remotely on our own computers. So to have an event that we can go to and meet together as a team, I thought that was great because when we get to really meet the people who we've been working with uh, all of this time. So I agree 100 percent that I will definitely it's no doubt about it. You know, we've we've gained contacts from going there, so on and so forth. And then just like what Austin said to me, the press conferences the first three days of the press conferences, that really was E3. Once the show starts, it's it's like it definitely loses something. Well, especially now that the fans are a part of the experience. Um, mm-hmm. So it definitely does not feel the way it used to feel. There's not really any exclusive uh, access to anything that you can feel as though you can gain. Um, so I agree that it should go away. I also would make the comment that shows such as GDC... And PAX West, to me, I enjoyed those shows way more than I've enjoyed E3 in the last couple of years. Because PAX is also laid back. PAX West. I'm not talking about PAX East because PAX East was, uh, it's, it's okay. Well, we're not talking about PAX East. 
Yeah, no. When, mm-hmm. when they have games, it, it, it's good. Like, I remember one year we went to PAX East. It was the year where Max Payne 3, I believe, was one of the games that we had an interview for, and we saw a gameplay. That was fantastic. I mean, it feels like as the years went by, they had maybe one game that no one really didn't have, because I believe Last of Us was also at one of those PAX East for the very first time. And that was great, but when there is no major game there, uh, it doesn't really feel like it's that good of experience. Whereas PAX West is, once again, like you guys mentioned, a very laid-back, chill environment where, you, you know, a lot of the appointments I had, I was in hotels. I wasn't even in the actual convention center where PAX West took place. So um, it just felt like a different type of experience. And then, of course, PSX, which I agree 100% way better event uh that event was important especially for us actually establishing business connections with sony uh so i 100 percent think that there definitely should be events that happen but e3 is not an event that we need it needs to remain exactly how it is right now so i don't really mind if it goes away uh i will always be thankful for what i gained for it i gained a lot of friends a lot of uh great great contacts people but it, it, I don't think it needs to continue, especially as is right now. If, if I could say, um, what I love about something like PSX, when it's a much more dedicated event, uh, because I, I just think when you look at E3 as an industry event, you have to look at the industry as well. And there's been, especially in the case of E3, I've noticed the four space has begun to be like dominated more by international teams, smaller teams, mobile teams. Uh, it's not that they're pushing out the big AAA guys. It's just the AAA guys know they don't need to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're looking to engage with those people, it's fine. But I think, and, and this is all speaking for myself because God help me, I've always wanted to have some, uh, semblance of a professional career in the gaming industry for reasons that they are, people always tell you don't go into the gaming industry but you know I, I think I think if, if that's your passion go for it but what I love about that industry is fundamentally you deal with um, you deal with a situation where I got a loud neighbors sorry you deal with a situation where you have the opportunity to engage with those people mm-hmm. and I feel like if that is an attraction for you, then those kinds of events have to be presented. Um, that might not be at an E3, but I remember at the first PSX in Vegas, I went and I remember right off in the corner, I saw a very young, less gray Corey Barlow. And I got to engage with him for like an hour and a half. And, you know... I, regardless of where I end up in the industry, I'll always be grateful for that interaction because it gave me the insight that stuff you can never get on IGN or even the old X-Play. You got to have a one-on-one. And that right there is worth 100 demos that you could play at any of those events. Like the last C3, I think it was um, Ninja Theory. Uh, Dom on the Ninja Theory team. Um they bought me a beer at the Yard House right next to uh, to the E3 Center. Yard House, yeah. shout out. Very <laughs> yeah. tall, the giant bong-sized beer glasses. Yes. Uh, and, and we had a beer, and I got to talk about, you know, Hellblade and the uh, the importance of sound design. And as a sound designer, 
I couldn't get that at any other event. So I don't think this E3 as it is now has legs, but I hope an event rises up to replace it because for people who A, have media connections or B, have professional aspirations, that kind of event is still completely invaluable. Mm-hmm. Mm. I agree. 100%. So to reiterate, um, um, the news is that there isn't E3 this year, right? Because I saw Big Mike in the chat just asked. So, uh, uh, yeah, we got to clarify this part. Um, it's the live show that's completely gone. It seems like the digital event is still going forward. But again, everything I said, I said still holds true. I'm like, who wants to participate in this? Because even digitally, I think they're still going to charge a lot of money. So I, I don't know why any company would do that when they could just do their own thing or be part of Jeff Keighley's thing instead, you know? And, and and I I agree exactly with, with, with what you're saying, and I will also add that we've already seen some companies have already been doing this. Like Ubisoft, they've been having events since last year where they would, you know, they have their their event where they'll reveal something. So I kind of feel like why would they need to partner with ESA when they can just do their own thing at any time and show whatever they want to show, so on and so forth. So I agree. That's a valid valid question to ask. So to I don't me- know which company. Oh, oh my God! I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. I thought oh, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so, uh, just so I can understand this, right? So, when you say it's all digital, so like there's no live live event or anything like that, right? It's just a- yeah, so, yeah, no, no show, no attendees or anything like that. Okay, so is the it? The convention is it- center will not be utilized. Okay. okay. So, so like, are you? As a media, like from the perspective as a media guy, right? So, like, is it basically like a bunch of like Zoom calls or something where you get to see like what the companies are working on? Like, I don't know. Is it just going to be live streams? I have no idea what they're uh, going to do. Uh, you know. So, so he, I, I think. It, it, I, yeah, I was going to say they did do Zoom calls type of things at last E3 too with some people. You know, so I'm going to imagine that because now it's easier. You know, it's easy to have these kind of digital events with media because you could just play the game on PC while playing with the developer. I did that last year a few times. It was actually kind of the same. You know, kind of the same. I'm hanging out with them, talking shit and whatever, and playing their game. So you know, it's cool. But at the same time, you still do want to be there. But it's it's kind of sort of replicating it in that sense. But, but um, by, by the way, real quick, okay, I, I just remember now. Didn't they say that they're trying to um, have it so they can stream games to the fans, so, like fans can play streaming versions of games? I, th- I, I think I remember something, like, but it may not be, have been free through for something else that they're like, hey, we're going to try to stream these games and people just have them play because that's a smarter move. Than, you don't want fans downloading games. <laughs> you don't want that, you know, getting get the yeah. source codes or whatever. But streaming games, I think that's a good idea. Um, but I, I don't think it was even free. But, hey, listen, I'm just going to say this. Don't let Stadia's failure uh, knock you on streaming gaming because <laughs> GeForce, Now, GeForce Now and even Amazon Lunar and Xbox X Game Cloud, they're good. It's just Stadia had a shitty business model. So I'm charging you $60 per game. That's fucking ridiculous. You know? Google, <laughs> Google was just the worst company to do it. Like, because like, yeah, they, they abandoned everything. Like, they abandoned yeah. all of their services. So, like, you know. Um, but I do oh, think careful. I do think streaming is the future, though. Uh, oh yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, I mean it's so, unavoidable, uh, but at the same time, like PT is a cautionary tale. Word. You don't have a physical copy of what you. Yeah, yeah. All, all I'm saying is, look what happened to music. Look what happened to movies. 
games are just the next thing. I don't want it, obviously, like because you're right, PT and all these. Look at Scott Pilgrim. We didn't have that for like eight years, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just the way things are going, unfortunately. Because think about it, if you're a kid who grows up 20 years from now, right? You're gonna be like, why the hell did these old guys do this shit like this? All my games are just here on a pod, <laughs> on my TV or whatever, on my on my laptop, you know? Um, like buying games like you know, carte blanche that, that wouldn't make any sense to somebody who just has everything at their disposal at all times. It cheapens the experience. I agree with you. Um, you don't have that sense of ownership, but people like think about it like this, right? MP3s took over. Even though CDs sound way better, you know, but MP3s are convenient, you know. That's just what it is. What was it like two years ago where vinyl overtook like any other kind of music sale? Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because well, here's the thing: people aren't really buying music. I think they're fucking still stealing them. Um, Video games because people are are fearing that games are fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you don't get me started. <laughs> but people feared that gaming will one day be a hundred percent digital. No, 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 no. Gaming will always have physical. It'll be like vinyl. Like collectors, unlimited run games. They're going to be one of the big ones on the stage. Like if you want physical games, we got you. Um, but for most people, they'll just buy the or purchase it or subscribe whatever digital. But there's going to be that 10, 15 percent. I go, yo, I want my physical shit. And they're going to have stores for that. I, I guarantee you that. Oh, absolutely. I just hope that if, if it continues, the nicest thing I can say about Cyberpunk 2077, I got an actual in-game book and I was like, oh, Thank you. Oh shit! They still make those. They still make those shit. I was like, oh, there's a map and everything. Thank you, CD Projekt. Yeah, I I had the same feeling when I got Red Dead Redemption. Told me, holy shit, there's stuff inside of this. Mm -hmm. Exactly, (laughs) and it's it's in color. Anyway, go on, Rich. (laughs) I I just, I just, I have a quick question for Austin. So that booklet that Mm -hmm. you received from CD Projekt Red was that also in yellow and black, which is the cautionary sign that. Proceed with caution when you play this game, or was that a different color? Uh, I'd have to look at it. Honestly, I played it once. Um, <laughs> nothing against it. I'll have to revisit it. Uh, yeah. Definitely cautionary. There's a lot of yellow associated with that game, so I could see it. Yeah, and I think uh, that was the warning for everybody. The two <laughs> colors. Uh, so one quick point I, I do want to make uh, about this: uh, the question that Gary asked about the streaming and stuff. I, I do think that Ubisoft is one of uh, several companies that are positioned to still do stuff because last year I was in a lot of preview events where I was able to play Assassin's Creed as well as Watch Dogs remotely right on this computer. Um, so they are definitely in a position where they can still do some type of preview events. And a lot of these events just happen at random times right before they would have this showcase event the digital showcase event that they had. So Ubisoft is definitely in a position to do still do stuff throughout the year. Um, and they don't need E3. So and that that's the, so I mean, and, and then the same thing with Outriders. I did get a chance to play Outriders uh, on this same computer through a remote server the exact same way. Just to a like a demo, like like I got a chance to play some of that demo that's out right now. Um, the same way so it, it they, they definitely can make that service available for people who want to play it but for to make it available for everybody that might prove to be a challenge uh so i don't know we'll have to see how they handle that but for people who are in the media that need to cover an event they 100 percent will probably still be doing this stuff moving forward 
yeah oh yeah yeah for sure one thing I do think is that um uh, you know, because of this pandemic, I do think a lot of things are going to be different once, uh, even once things open up. Like, because I think a lot of people have realized how much they can do in a, on in just a virtual online space. So I think there will be mm-hmm. more frequent, you know, all digital things happening. Um, you know, even after the world opens up, just because of the convenience of it, and also like you don't have to spend as much money. So. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah. Not to get too sidetracked, but I think a lot of companies in general are uh, realize like, oh, we don't need to have people in, actually in buildings anymore. You know, so a lot of things are going to change. Like I said, think about my situation, right? I couldn't leave the house basically my best year ever, right? Because of digital. So a lot of companies are going to realize like, hey, we just do these things digitally, save ourselves some money instead of flying, even though it sucks for us, you know, that we won't get flown out to places. They're still going to have digital events and stuff. So that's going to keep happening for sure, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rest in rest in peace to movie theaters. <laughs> man, I, I worked at one for eight years and I got no sympathy. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I got a nice ass TV and I will substitute that for going hey, to sticky doors. You, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least when, when, when you, when, when, with your sticky floors, you know how it got sticky. <laughs> you know? There's some mystery there. <laughs> I am responsible for said stick. And that's there you true. go. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with E3. Uh, any final comments before we move on to the next topic? No, I'm, I'm charged. I want to get to these other topics, man. Do it, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get to these other topics because this is where it's going to start to get a little controversial. So, oh, oh, let's talk about uh, Gary's favorite company, Electronic Arts, and the uh, roller coaster week that they have had here in the gaming industry. So, first and foremost, Gary's favorite game, Anthem, that has officially been canceled. All development has ended on Anthem. So that is an instance of things going downhill. On the positive side, Dragon Age 4 now is going to be a single-player focused game instead of the games-as-a-service model that they originally set it up for. So, Gary, I want to go to you first since, if I recall, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I believe that you purchased the deluxe edition of Anthem when it released. So what are your thoughts on what happened with Anthem? And yeah. as well as your thoughts on Dragon Age. Yeah, um, I, I drank the Kool-Aid with Anthem. Um, like, you know, I thought this was going to be the, the next big deal. Like, I thought, you know, because was, I was coming off of, like, an addiction to Destiny at that point. Like, because Destiny was such an amazing game uh, when the first one came out. Um, and I was looking forward to more experiences like that, you know, that would keep me locked in and invested for a very long time. Um, and, you know, then Anthem came along and, you know, it's Bioware, a company that, you know, although they're not the same now, but I used to really love Bioware. Um, and I want, I wanted them to have a comeback. I wanted them to succeed, you know, and then, you know, on top of that, Anthem did look pretty cool. Like when you, when the first time, like you saw it and you saw like the, the mechs flying around and stuff looking like Iron Man, like that, that's a cool visual. So I, you know, I was, I was invested. I thought, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the game I'm going to be playing for like the next year or something. Right. So I spent 90, 90 pounds on the deluxe 
And like everyone else, I was disappointed with Anthem after that. Uh, and I was very sour, uh, you know, on, on that investment. Um, and that that's another thing, like, that's, that's actually soured me on gaming, on the gaming industry overall lately, because it's like now... Um, a lot of games are like that now where it's like all hype and then they don't deliver um, cyberpunk being the most recent one um, so yeah like um, Anthem was you know one of those major ones that kind of set off that trend um, and you know um, so getting to Dragon Age now I'm, I'm going to tie it all up together but um, getting to Dragon Age uh, Inquisition was a good game but it wasn't as good as it could have been, right? And I I do feel like EA has some of the blame for that because, you know, Bioware were working with the new engine, the Frostbite. There was a lot they had to kind of develop and, um, you know, work around because of that um, to, to incorporate the new engine. Like, a lot of the RPG systems and stuff didn't even exist in the Frostbite engine. So they had to, you know, make all of that stuff alongside trying to develop the game. And one of my biggest problems with Inquisition is, um, and it's the same with Mass Effect Andromeda, actually, um, there's a lot of filler. Like, a lot of those side quests and stuff is, is all filler. You're just, like, ticking a list, basically. Like, you know, it's, it's it, it just it didn't feel like the old games where it was, like, every side quest meant something to the characters and the main story. Um, so that was my problem with Inquisition, even though it was a decent game. Um, it just didn't live up to, you know, Dragon Age Origins. So with that in mind, right, I feel like at the moment, um, EA and Bioware as a combination, they are not um, they are not in a position to to release a, a, a good game. Well, let me say this, actually. Um I'm not. I'm, I'm not at a point where I'm going to be excited for anything that they that they're gonna create, like EA and Bioware specifically. Like I'm not getting excited for for anything from them ever again until they sh until they show me they can, they are capable of creating good games, and that they care about the the player and not just money. Until I see that, I'm not excited at all. Um, Anthem that should they should have killed that off a long time ago. They should have just stopped and moved on to you know the next thing and with dragon age because now i'm hearing more stuff about you know dragon age 4 i saw that headline the other day where they were saying um it was going to be a live service before right and now they've decided to go single player because um the star wars game did well uh yep well, that's right yeah yeah exactly now like just reading that headline gets me annoyed like and gets me <laughs> you know unenthusiastic for 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 dragon age like and dragon age is a series i loved like i love origins it's one of my favorite games of all time actually alongside like mass effect uh one and two um but you know um I'm just I'm not excited at all for this next Dragon Age because I just feel like you know they don't have the gamers best interest at heart they they don't they've lost grasp of what Dragon Age fans actually want at this point like because for you to 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 want to make a live service out of Dragon Age that just shows that you don't understand the audience at all like because that's not even you know like we don't want any online for Dragon Age like we don't want nothing like that we just want a great epic fantasy story 
Like that's it. Like it just needs to fund- fundamentally be a great dark fantasy kind of story. That's it. Like that, an, an RPG. Just give us that. Like, and that it doesn't seem like too much to ask. Cause, I mean, I feel like I could write a new Dragon Age game. Like I could write the story. Cause I, I just know what makes what it works. Like you know what works in that world. Like I know because I played it so many times. Um, and it's like they've lost grasp of that. Like, um, I, th- I feel like any of the hardcore Dragon Age fans know exactly what to do with the story. Like, they, they could give you the beats of, of what this next Dragon Age needs to be, but it seems like EA just doesn't know. Like, they, they don't understand anymore. And that's what frustrates me the most about them. Like, and it feels like they don't, they won't trust. Um, the BioWare staff to do what you know what they have done in the past like and you have all these BioWare people leaving as well so all of the confidence is lost at this point like I, I don't even care about <laughs> Dragon Age like it's just if it comes out and you know people like it I hear, if I hear Tony talking about it or something and he says he likes it then I'm going to play it I'm going to give it a chance but at this point I just don't care because you know can, can, well, can I say Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I just was going to ask one question, and then, then we'll go to Austin. So, Gary, are you also saying that you will not be picking up Mass Effect uh, uh, Legendary Edition? See, I'm annoyed with that, too, because, like, because <laughs> <laughs> they're changing stuff now. Like, and I know it's, like, small, minor details and stuff, but just the fact that you're changing it, like, it's already classic. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is enhance it, like, and you know make it mm-hmm. make it optimized for the current hardware but then mm-hmm. going back and they're changing things to fall in line with you know current uh yeah you know, <laughs> current uh you know social expectations i guess like like and it's just i'm not with like i don't like that i don't i mean i, I, pr- I, I probably will get it i probably will get it though just because those games do mean a lot to me but i already have the the originals on pc so if the changes are really significant, I'll just play the originals. Like, I, <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to know how you lose a source code for Pinnacle Station. Yeah, Pinnacle Station was not a great deal, but it still it, it belongs to you know it belongs in that group. And for their excuse as to why it's not in the Legendary Edition is because they quote lost the source code. How the hell do you lose the source code in this day and age? That makes no sense. It's like what? What were they doing in 2007? Saving things on yeah. floppy disk? <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous! That's a um, stupid excuse. Um, yeah, go ahead, bro. Honestly, Bioware is a touchy subject because uh, Knights of the Old Republic is still my favorite game of all time, um, and I loved Jade Empire. Uh, so knowing that Mike Laidlaw went from Jade Empire to Dragon Age Origins and made my opinion like one of the best Western fantasy RPGs, both in terms of genre as well as, like, narrative genre. Uh, It's incredible. I didn't even have a problem with two. I just felt Inquisition was really, really uh, bloated. Inquisition cosmetically was that thing that didn't need to be as shiny as it was, but turned out to be mostly fluff. Um, cause I remember hearing the reports that they were doing a live service for four. Um, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad they're moving away from it. I think it's a shame that 
a Star Wars game has to save things, especially when uh, the success of Fallen Order should have no bearing on mm-hmm. any other game, let alone another team completely. Uh, it just even it, thinking about Fallen Order just makes me even more upset about Amy Hennig's Star Wars game, which was axed mm-hmm. because single player games don't sell. Um, I don't know. I. I, I, I'm intrigued about Dragon Age 4 just because I know it's going to be set in the Taventer Imperium. So, like, from a story s- standpoint, that gets me excited. Because, you know, more so than Orlay, I love the world that is... Like, what the first Dragon Age did... Games need to stop doing what they've been doing for the last couple of years, and that's showing us everything. Sometimes you can allude to a bigger world, and it can feel much larger than when you show it to us. And I'm, that's one of my biggest issues with like side. Dragon Age Origins back in 2009 was stuffed to the brim with so much lore and intrigue that even though we were stuck in Ferelden, I felt like I was a small piece inside of a giant play box. I didn't even have that, pro- like even Dragon Age 2 stuck in what? Kirkwall? Just one city? Yeah. It still felt like I was in a much larger world. But fucking, excuse me, uh, uh, freaking, um, oh, the Inquisition. I've, I've been cursing the whole time, bro. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been one motherfucker that's been cursing the whole time. <laughs> a fucking Inquisition having its massive maps that were filled with almost nothing didn't make the world better. It made it worse. So I'm all down for Dragon Age 4, but based <laughs> off its own principles and what it itself has as a game. I don't need every map to be j- I'd rather deal with complexity over just, you know, a giant compliance. I, I just, I'm really tired of the open world. And it's happened with RPGs, and it's happened with Bioware RPGs. Um, Andromeda, like, I love the first three Mass Effects. I'm in the camp that thinks three has some of the highest highs in the entire trilogy. Um... And that was just a lot of kill boxes in small rooms. I don't need Andromeda's giant maps. Uh, cause God knows the more it, it, things just feel less interesting when you go out. And the rumor is that Aspire is doing KOTOR 3, that a completely different developer is making the next Knights of the, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. If it is Aspire, I think that's the best way they could go about it because Aspire has literally been working with the, uh, ports of one and two definitely two maybe one so i would rather have a a, i would rather have a studio build a long anticipated sequel when they have that much close proximity to the first one because the bioware of today is not the bioware of 2003 through 2010 so i bought anthem i put 35 minutes in it i had a bad connection (laughs) the game lagged out i was like yeah this isn't for me (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh, man this uh, i'll try not to repeat too much of what i said on um throw down about this topic but yo we dodged a bullet huge bullet with dragon age 4 because we didn't know what was going on with the game right i assumed it's gonna be a regular <laughs> dragon age game right it, it, it's like imagine if you're walking down the street you're doing your thing you go home at night and then the next day you find out oh by the way like two minutes after you left there was a, a serial killer that was gonna stab you but we stopped him it's like damn i got lucky so i feel we got very lucky when we find and, out and that serial killer is always online 
Yeah, that's right. You know, oh my God. So, but EA's on some bullshit. They, they, you're right. They're the ones that, oh, single player games don't sell. Bruh, Jedi Fallen Order. Fucking fantastic game. I, I got the game because it was on sale, right, for like $15. I dismissed the game because I was very, I've been very upset with Star Wars ever since, you know, the new people took over, right? Um, but Mandalorian, which is great. I'm like, oh, it's cool. Maybe the Star Wars game that people seem to like is good. I'll check it out. Fucking blew me away. The, the first 15 minutes, like, this is a Tony game. This is exactly what I wanted in the game. Big AAA, crazy special effects, high production values, great voice acting, this sort Metroidvania shit. Give me this fucking game, right? So I'm glad the game sold well. So it's just interesting how it works, right? So the success of that game, coupled with the failure of Anthem, saved Dragon Age, you know, and that, that's a good thing. And I want to jump on, you know, since you brought it up, Lawson, I'm going to go down that line too. I'm going to nerd the fuck out. So give me a couple minutes here, right? To Winter Imperium, my that's my favorite thing about Dragon Age because they, you keep getting hints at it in every game, and every game gives you more, right? In the first game, it, the whole story with, with um, wizards or mages or whatever, it's like, okay, mages fucked up the world to Victor Imperium, which is their analog to the Roman Empire, right? They fucked up the world, and now nobody wants mages anymore, right? And the one question I have, I'm like, hold on. If you had a whole empire of mages, they were the nobility, right? Like, why would they stop doing the shit they're doing, right? Then in Dragon Age 2, you find out, oh, yeah, the mages have been operating the same as usual this entire time. They're fucking rich. No one's going to put them behind bars, you know? And then in the third game, we meet um, my man. I forget his name. You know, they got one dude from Taventry Imperium. We learned so much lore about them, right? So it's going to be good to, like, you know, have a game. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but if they're, we go get to go to the Taventry Imperium where magic is at its, like, most potent, most decadent and shit, that's going to be great. Because that's one of the things I love about Dragon Age. I love how how magic is dangerous, you know, very mysterious and dangerous. You see a lot of fantasy, and I'm, you know, and I've talked to Gary about it many times. I'm not the biggest fantasy fan because I feel like, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, there's no real consequences, but Dragon Age always did it right, man. It felt, magic felt dangerous and raw, you know, and I, I want to see that in like, it's all its glory in the Tavindian period. These decadent motherfuckers, they don't care about what's going on in the world. You know, they're just doing their thing. And I, you, you know, they're up to some shady shit. You already know. They're, they may bring another blight. Who knows with those guys? So I'm looking forward to that. But at the same time, with that said, I am cautious because the people who made those first Dragon Age games are not around anymore, right? Uh, yeah. Some notable people have moved on. So I'm worried that not only will the new people not really understand the, what makes Dragon Age Dragon Age, but I, Gary, you brought this up. I don't want them to put these social things in there that are going to ruin the lore. Yeah. Leave it, leave, let it do its thing. You know, like don't mess it up. You already saw little trickles of it sleeping in there, right? Um, so I don't want none of that. And the last thing I'll say about this, about the gameplay, you know, because it's funny, we, we were talking about Valhalla, uh, you know, uh, like half an hour ago, and I said the game's too much. Dragon Age Inquisition was the first game in my life where I, I'm like, there's too much here. That's the first game, right? Because I play. I, what I loved about Oranges was because I, I do it. Um, I know Gary, you're a big fan of it, but I'm not the biggest fan of grinding, right? I loved how in Origins, by the time you got to that final boss, if you did all the side missions, which were all substantive, they weren't just filler. 
you were powerful enough to take on that boss and, and kick ass, right? Yeah. And with this game, I remember I was in the hinterlands for 20 hours. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Here? When is this going to end? <laughs> you remind me of all those 2014 memes where it's like, bro, did you ever get out of the hinterlands? He's just got an old man beer. Yeah. I remember EA eating. It was either EA or no, it was Bioware. Bioware went on Twitter. There's literally begging people to leave the hinterlands. Like, there's other things. Go explore. You know, so like, and now we have like, you know, with games like Assassin's Creed, and I know people love it. Like, The Witcher just throwing so much at you. I don't want Dragon Age to do that, man. I want to go back to that streamlined, you know, right, direct type of content like Ghost of Tsushima. You give us a lot, sixty hours worth of stuff, not too much, so I could replay it again. Man, I was the other thing about the Dragon Age games, right? And here's the people shit on Dragon Age too, rightly so, but I still like that game because the lore wise, it was great you know um and that was one of those games too where i played i'm like what is this? what is the point of this game and then the final third act brings all the game, like this is incredible right gameplay wise i had my pro- issues with it if they were trying to do the mass effect 2 thing where it's just immediate action uh they had like a million fucking dungeons but they were all the same i, I had problems gameplay wise i was not a fan of it right but the story the world even though it was kirkwall brilliant right so i want more of that more to the point like world structure not not this over bloated craziness that we had inquisition and in other games like assassin's creed but at the same time and i'm blaming you fans out there you're the ones that keep asking for this shit stop it make for smaller games man you know because again one of the cool things about dragon age was i loved i played the dragon age origins like five times you know uh, just seeing all the different paths though because the game takes about 30 hours to beat dragon age inquisition i played twice that was it because it was 100 hours each i'm like i I can't do this i cannot do this this is too much you know so yeah bring it back and yeah i'm I'm just thankful that um we dodged the bullet there and as for anthem i'll just say this real quick not surprised i remember i saw that game they showed that each i'm like this shit looks like fucking destiny right played it it felt like Destiny. Destiny with awesome flying mechanics. That was the body because the flying is fucking great, right? But I'm in there. I'm fighting this giant robotic spider. I'm like, bro, this is literally the first boss of Destiny, you know? Mad disappointing. And like Gary, like you said, and I've said this too. This is not what Bioware fans want from, from Bioware, man. They don't care about MP. They want a hardcore, dedicated, narrative-based action rpg right that's what they want give us that that's all we want you know but but maintain the lore too don't fuck it up i do not shove some bullshit in there that doesn't to be in there that's all i'm saying you know uh, i'm not gonna get into that but you guys know exactly what i'm talking about but yeah yeah you fucking up <laughs> you fucking up <laughs> look, look at your one success right jedi for order and keep going in that direction let let's start and you know what was great about that game and i'll say this because it was star wars it was pure star wars let dragon age be dragon age let mass effect be mass effect and we'll be all right something i I, i've noticed that ea's games the ea games that tend to be successful move away from ea mandates this idea that oh it has to be on um uh uh what's the dice engine frostbite frostbite Oh, it has to be on Frostbite. So stupid. Um, that's what killed De- Dead Space, man. They ruined Dead Space because of that. You know? <laughs> anyway, go, go on, go on. I, I, go. Well, I mean, just like, I, when I think about, like, I can't speak to sales numbers, but when I think about the two critically acclaimed games, they weren't on Frostbite, and they weren't online service. And that was Titanfall 2, 1 and 2, but more so 2, which was um, the Source Engine. And then that was Fallen Order, which was on UE4. 
and they completely fight against their mandates. I just like, I think the problem with Bioware is specifically EA involvement. And I think that's I what killed him in the Enix game. And I think that's what's been fucking up Bioware for, uh, you know, X amount of years. EA, Star Wars is a gift. Not to be crass, but Star Wars is like a never ending BJ of success. How can you take 10 years? make three games and one of your games in the Star Wars universe is so toxic that it involves Hawaiian legislature to say you know what there's gambling in video games maybe we need to move away from this there were two battlefronts yeah. and one phone how could you how could you botch the Star Wars license so badly and I knew that well, would happen I knew Lucasfilm was going to take it back and I knew that they were going to make it like because there will still be EA Star Wars there will be Ubisoft yeah. Star Wars games what Lucasfilm is doing with the Star Wars license is exactly what LucasArts did with the Star Wars license. Where, like, you guys, I don't know if you remember, but, like, Episode 3, the movie game based off the third, like, Revenge of the Sith, that was developed by The Collective and I'm pretty sure published by Activision as well. Um, mm-hmm. This is the best possible route for the Star Wars. Uh, I, With all due respect, this is going to be really melodramatic, but... I wouldn't want e- I wouldn't want EA and by extension Bioware to touch another Knights of the Old Republic. It's like giving your kid back to an alcoholic father. You just know it's not going to be taken care of well. Get it away from those parties involved. Well, I, I, I think. Well, I, th- I think I think you just I think you just said it best when you said that they had the ten year licensing deal with the Star Wars games, and I think that that was a test to see what they were going to do and you know obviously the results were not good so this is now now the why that license is no longer exclusive and now other developers are going to be making other games in that universe so yeah yeah i will hope they don't do that i just i think the best thing this is going to be mean because i know some people work for ea I like oh. well some some I don't like so forget them but like I know there are some good people at EA Studios but the best thing that have come out about EA games are typically like in direct response to so if we get a Coach War three it's not because of EA's run on Star Wars it's in spite of it uh, the Callisto Protocol which yes. I, I know is going to be fantastic uh, that's yep. in spite of EA that's not because of EA. EA literally works best when it's an antagonistic force that other developers go out just to prove wrong. <laughs> and it's a really messed up situation when your existence in any industry is to push other people to do better in spite of you and not because. But I feel like that's the way it's going. Down. They've been sitting on many great properties. Uh, hell, some of the best Lord of the Rings games were EA games, and yet nothing has been done. The fact that, like, what, Burnout was their first HD remake? Mm-hmm. Nothing against burnout, but it's like people want a Mass Effect trilogy ages ago. Like, yeah, it's like that grandmother that keeps on giving you the wrong thing you want for Christmas, despite the fact that you're crystal clear every time you ask for it. I don't get it. Yeah, of all the publishers, EA is the most frustrating from a business sense. Ubisoft is the most str- frustrating from like a design sense, but I just don't get it. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, don't get me started on, on Burnout, man. Like, yo, EA, what did they do when they got Criterium? They put them on Need for Speed games, and we haven't had a single Burnout in, like, 10 years. Like, come on, they man, what the fuck? Them. 
they, they should have put them on like on a awesome pod racer game because I still think like Squadrons is great. Yeah. That one VR sequence from the first Battlefront in 20, what, 14, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. It just, who is running EA? I feel like it's just an empty desk. <laughs> it's Yo, and, is it? Yeah, and I'm going to say this because uh, EA, I think they bought Codemasters, and they have like that said they're going to make them. Yeah, yeah, now they're going to make Need for Speed games. Watch. <laughs> it's like they, come they, on, they, man. I believe they outbid. I forget who they outbid for that because that was in the news. But yeah, that's not good. Um, the only um, like Joseph Fires is great at EA. And I, I'm looking forward to his new game. Uh, but even then, I, as much as I liked a way out, I still think Brothers was better. And probably some of that was because, like, there was probably less EA mandate. So hopefully, and I, I've heard his stu- his studio might, I forgot what they're called, but I've heard they might be the next EA acquisition. Hopefully. He's like. He's, yeah. Yep. Hopefully. Yeah, it, uh, take, it Takes Two looks great. I like the concept of the game. I don't think it's a game that everybody's going to play, but by far that was one of the better original, you know, like you said, with a way out, that's one of the studios where they, they've done a really good job so far. So to, if, if I hear that it is correct, the EA now is trying to take more control. That's not good. Not with them. Well, they, they, they need to. They just, they just canceled motives, five year IP in development as well. Yeah. I heard about that. Man. Yeah. The Jade Raymond game. Jade Raymond can't catch uh, yeah. a break. I feel sorry for her, man. She keeps landing in some bad situations. Shit. You know, like yeah. Sydney was the last one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've I met her a few times. She's a nice lady, but her and Amy yeah. Nick for some reason just can't stay employed. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember with Jay Raymond, that was, uh, we knew about Assassin's Creed from all the way back when she was working on that. So yeah. I'm surprised that she's still in, in the industry. Um, but yeah. Stay Absolutely. So uh, the last point that I will make before we move on to the next topic, Anthem, uh, unfortunate, but uh, I agree with a lot of, of, of what has already been said. I, 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 I didn't get a chance to play that game. It wasn't really that appealing to me. So I'm not surprised that the development has canceled. Probably should have been canceled a long time ago because BioWare needs to focus on other projects. That I mean, we, we saw the teaser of the next Mass Effect I don't know what's going to happen with that project. And I will also add that I am concerned about that because some of the people that was involved with that series are no longer with EA or no longer with Bioware rather. So definitely a cause for concern. And as for Dragon Age, uh, I have never gotten into Dragon Age. Although after hearing this conversation with you guys, I, I, I certainly am, am eager to, to try it out. But uh, again, I'm going to wait to see first what you and Tony have to say. Well, all three of you play it before me, and then if you give me the seal of approval, then I'll try it. Yeah, I, Rich, I'll say this about Dragon Age because uh, one that? of the biggest criticisms I hear about Dragon Age is, "Oh, it's cliche. It's you know, elves, dwarfs, etc." Dragon Age works best when you go in expecting those types of fantasy trope cliches because it subverts all of them. Yep, I'm so about, okay. about to say that. Like, think about it, like um, with elves. Right? I love what they did with elves. Like, you think, oh, yeah, elves, majestic creatures, you know, bro, all this magic. No, they're the fucking slaves, basically. You know, they're, they're the slaves. Or, <laughs> you know, they're the slaves, and they're the prostitutes, the most beautiful yeah, people that you think would be the most elegant, <laughs> are like subjugated by their own respective society. 
Yeah, and it's then like, you wow. check it. Yeah, it, it's so cool. And then the, the whole thing with the dwarves, like, oh, they have this crazy rigid caste system. Like, that's kind of, but it's fitting. Like, they're, they're as rigid as stone in that sense. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you've never seen dwarves presented like that before. And then, of course, you have, um, oh, gee, I'm forgetting their name now. Um, the guys with the horn, they're brand new. Like, you've never seen a race what like that. Canari. Canari, they're not, they're like Klingons, but that's the only analog I can think of, you know. But even they, they're, they're presented as these big warrior crazy race, but they have some subtlety to it, too, you know. But so you're right about that when you think you know what things are about they subvert all those expectations and i hope the teams working on the games uh, remember that you know don't just present surface level shit gotta dig deeper that's what those games are about and last thing about dragon age um okay because we talked about how games have so much in them and it's it's just gets to be overwhelming right the way dragon age does it is right in terms of lore the lore is so deep right books everywhere you can read but if you don't want to you could skip all that right so i hope they do that if they have to throw in all this bullshit gameplay at least make it optional you know um even though i don't want it personally but it's like at least do that but with the lore throw more of it in there like i'm I'm the type of guy i'll i'll sit and read for hours these these fucking lore entries i'm going through caverns and everything because i you just get into it you know yeah and and they do a great job Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh no. The last thing I was gonna say is, um, like, um, like, because what you guys mentioned before about the new game being in Tavinta and everything, like, that yeah. is an interesting, um, you know, setting for for me, and that has me a little interested in what they're gonna do. But my my main thing is, um, the the lead writer David Gator left Bioware a long time ago. Yeah, dude. Like I was I was a huge fan of what he did, you know, with those original games and like it was to the point where I even bought the books that he wrote. You know, um like cuz he was just he knew what he was doing and now he's not there anymore. So, um you know, something makes me feel like they're going to mess it up. Um just, Dara oh. left too, right? Hmm. Uh, is it Mike or Matt Dara? Uh, he was a lead designer. So there was Mike. Yeah, I think he left. Yeah, 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 yeah. People left. Yeah. yeah. Casey Hudson left as well. Yeah. Trying to remember. And, and that's why I'm concerned about Mass Effect. So yeah, a hundred percent. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe they go off. I hope they go off and form their own studio. It'd be nice. You know, it's like the, the whole reason why. The completely different topic, but the whole reason why Obsidian exists was because the guys who were at Black Isle wanted to continue doing what they did, and that's why, you know, like, I'd argue New Vegas is still the best fallout, because it was the original people coming back to take care of their own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. So, on that tip, let's move on to the next topic. This is going to be more so a question because we know I, I believe that you know Tony has already spoken about this extensively on Throwdown, but I, I, I do have a question that I would like to ask. So obviously uh, earlier this week, um, Jim Ryan had a lot of announcements, very interesting announcements about Sony. You know, you know PlayStation VR two coming in twenty twenty two, etc. But the announcement that I think got a lot of people angry is that they announced. Uh, Austin's game that he has been playing Days Gone is coming to PC uh, in March. And in that same interview, Jim Ryan also alluded and said there will be other PlayStation games coming to PC as well. So my question today for you gentlemen is which PlayStation games do you think are coming to PC next? So 
Gary, how about you go first? Because you actually reviewed Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. So why don't you have an opportunity to tell us how that experience was, if there was a positive or negative, and which games you think might be coming to PC next? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, Horizon, you know, it was, uh, the, the only thing is it wasn't optimized very well. Um, and, and that, that was before I upgraded my PC because I recently upgraded. Um, um, so, you know, it was, it was like the performance was really bad. Um, it was, it wasn't very well optimized, but I need to try it again with my new PC just to see how it compares. Um, but I, I think this is a good thing though. Um, for PlayStation because, you know, Microsoft, if you look at Microsoft, they're expanding their revenue streams, right? With Game Pass um, and everything like that. Like they're like, they're, they're structuring their business in a really good way to where they can, um, you know, they have a lot of different um, ways to, to, to make money from gamers. So PlayStation, they, I, I feel like this is a good move for them. If they, um, I, the, the only thing is, I don't think they should release like like let's say God of War comes out right God of War two. Um, I don't think they should release it on PC within the first year of its release. Like leave it leave it exclusive on the console for a whole year, and then after that year, you know release some of these games on on PC because that's gonna basically get you some more money. Like you'll be able to make more money from these games overall. Um, so I think it makes good business sense to, to release some of these exclusives on PC, you know, um, after a year or more. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ghost of Tsushima is one of the, the ones that come out, you know, uh, maybe late, later on this year or something like that. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure about God of War specifically because, um, I feel like it would be good business-wise if they released, like, you know, the, the first God of War, um, you know, um, on PC. I think it would make a lot of sense. But at the same time, I do think they have to leave something completely exclusive just to incentivize people to buy the console. Um, so it's it's a bit 50-50 because, you know, God of War is one of the flagship games. You know, Last of Us is another one. So I wouldn't be mad if they left those two completely exclusive to the console. And then, you know, other titles like Ghost of Tsushima could, you know, and, and maybe Bloodborne or something like that could release on PC, you know, after the <laughs> fact. Um, um, but yeah, I'm my guess is going to be Ghost of Tsushima. I think we might see that on PC. Mm. Interesting. Okay. How about mm. you, Tony? Yeah, um, what I think they're going to do is, okay, just back it up a little bit, right? I think I think putting old games that have run their course on PC is brilliant, right? You get a new audience in there, you get more money, and potentially have some of these guys, not a, a large amount, but some of these guys going, man, I want to play the sequel to that. I can only get on PS5 and get a PS5, right? So it makes sense business-wise, right? And it's also good just for the legacy of Sony, you know, like you can have these games on PC in perpetuity, right? Uh, theoretically speaking, and, and they're accessible. But I, I agree with Gary that they're not going to just start rushing all their games on day one. That's not going to happen. What Sony's going to do, this is what I predict is going to happen. 
the the vast majority of these games that you're going to see coming out in the next few years are going to be PS4 games. So Ghost of Tsushima is, is a PS4 game, so you could see that. Right? I, I could I could definitely see that. I don't know when. I think they may hold off on that a little bit because it's still doing well. But I think we'll see that. Right? We're going to see a lot of legacy games coming. Uncharted, God of Wars. Right? We're going to see all of that. The PS5 games, those are gonna come, but it's gonna take a while. And you guys, and Gary, you specifically, could, you know, correct me on this because I'm not t- as tech savvy as you, right? I'm thinking the um, the SSD on the PlayStation having something like that equivalent on PC won't be standard for a while. You know, like my PS5 blows away my PC, you know, because it's faster with the SSD, right? So I think PS5 games will come to to PC when more. You know, gaming PCs just have SSDs as a standard. That's when I think it'll happen. So I think it's going to be a little while, you know? Um, so that's my take on it. I think it's good. Keep it coming. But I will say, also keep it coming. I'm just being a troll right now because I love seeing the fanboys going crazy on Twitter. Free entertainment. Free entertainment with these fanboys. Oh, Sony betrayed me. How dare they do this? I, I put so much of my stock and faith to this company, and they're putting their games on fucking PC. They, they're, they're, they're betrayers. I'm like, all right, bro, calm it down, man. You, you, <laughs> you realize that Sony is not coming to take your games away, right? You can still play them on PlayStation. You're still good. No one's taking your games away. Jim Ryan's not going to come to your house in the middle of the night and gag you and then take your horizon away. <laughs> that ain't happening. You know, so let, let the PC guys. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and, I'm, and I'm just going to say this last thing. You sound like a fucking asshole when you say that shit, that you don't want other people playing a game just because you own it. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. That is really selfish, man. No one's taking your game away, so you want to take their game away? That No, no, no. I, I don't play that shit, man. That's not cool. You, you sound like a fucking asshole. I don't, I, you know, it's stupid. So, yeah, put them all on PC. Let's go. Uh oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it only benefits Sony because, you know, it's like now more people get it, get to, to know the library and, and what the games have to offer. And, you know, there might be a situation where, like, you know, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say they release, like, uh, uh, you know, Ghost of Tsushima on PC and somebody plays it and loves it on PC and then they, they announce Ghost of Tsushima 2 is coming on PS5. Um, you know, a year from now or something like that, that person might actually go and get the console because, you know, they don't want to wait for it to come to PC. Like, they want to get it day one. Mm-hmm. So so this only helps their business. Like, so gamers who complain, like, you, like they're, they're not thinking, you know, um, logically. They're not... Thi- like, they, they love PlayStation, but if you want PlayStation to do well, you should want them to do this. Like, to, to spread their wings and you know, put these games on PC because it's only going to help them in the long run. So, yeah. Here's, here, I have a quick question. Um, uh, you know, not to sidetrack too much, but I have a quick question. So, um, actually, question slash comment, right? Because the other thing is, is, like, these games are not part of the PlayStation ecosystem. You know what I'm saying? They're not. They're, like, they have separate achievements and all this other stuff. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how, like... Um, I guess that's another reason why I don't understand the complaints. I'm like, no one's invading your PlayStation uh, ecosystem. It's still there, you know, but at the same time, will we get to a point? And that's the question. Will we get to a point where we will see trophies on PC for these games? That would be interesting, you know, because right now the difference between Microsoft and Sony is Microsoft, all their games are on their ecosystem. Windows 10 is their Wii ecosystem. But Sony's games, you know, they're on different storefronts or whatever. So what do you guys think about that? Will they eventually make it, like, part of the Sony ecosystem, these PC games? Yeah, uh, like, 
and this is something I've been saying for a long time, they need to really, really work on PS Now because that could be their way of, you know, making PlayStation available to more platforms. So, like, you know, you could... Let, let's say, for example, you download the PS Now app, you know, um, on, on, on PC, and it's just like Steam, basically, but it's all PlayStation games. And then you make a PlayStation account, and any game you play, you earn trophies, and, you know, your, your friends on PS5 can see, you know, your, your trophies as well. Like, it's all integrated, right? I think that is the direction they need to go in, and I think PS Now is, like, the best way that they can achieve that. Um, if you know if they're able to fix some of the issues with the service, um, so. I agree with that. You know, and speaking about PS Now, and then you know, I'll let you guys go. I find it interesting how all these other streaming services, even Google Stadia, say what you will about it, they perform so well. Like when I was, te- I, I reviewed all the major ones last year, right? Uh, Google Stadia, uh, Shadow, Project X Cloud, Luna. And um, there's another one I'm missing. They all performed. It was like playing locally, right? Yet PS Now is still fucking up. Like, how, how do how, how is it that everybody else trumped them and st- they're still so far behind? You know, so you're right. They need to really step it up because uh, PlayStation Now would be really, really dope. For, imagine at $15 a month, you get all these games. That'd be legit. You know, yeah. but they need to f- fix the pricing, fix the latency, and they'll be all right. You know? Yeah, indeed. And just to talk about that on, you know, more uh, deeper level, like, because they could do it like they could do it both ways right so like ps now you could have it on pc and you could stream the games um and that could be the service side of it where maybe you pay a monthly fee or whatever but you could also offer the games as downloads too so like you purchase the game download it like like usual like you know like horizon on pc but instead you're not using steam you're, you're using their client so so they they should have like an actual client playstation client on pc so so I think, yeah, they, they definitely need to do that, especially as they release more of these PlayStation titles. Uh, that's something they need to think about. So, I agree. How about you, Austin? Uh, I am of the, the mindset, A, um, not a big fan of gatekeepers in the sense that, like, if you can't get a hold of something, don't tear down people who do get it, but instead, you know, this is going to be really mean and maybe unrealistic. But if, if people are bitching about, like, I I've, I still considered console, let me, yeah, I, I still view there to be some segment of, like, console exclusivity. I'm a guy who mostly deals with, so, like, in the case of the Xbox releases, I still see, like, Fable as an Xbox exclusive, even though it can come to PC. Um, and in that situation, you know, like, I, I see nothing wrong with getting more PlayStation games to PC owners. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of, like, exclusives as long... I, I own both, and not to be mean, but, like, don't bitch about exclusivity. Go out and get that grind on and go buy that other console and enjoy those games. That's the best way to go about it. But, like, I have no issue with more people getting the chance to play something like Days Gone. Um, it's a sound game, especially, like, Death Stranding, which, by all accounts, apparently didn't sell well. Um, 
So it's getting a second life. So yeah, I mean, like, if PlayStation wants to bring its games over to a second ecosystem that isn't a competitor as much as it is like a support system, um, to give them a second life, I'm, I'm down for it. I guarantee you, if you order 1886, got a PC release, there would be more people requesting a sequel. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Which I still think there should be one, but I guess we'll never get one due to the Oculus buyout. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm totally fine with it, with it happening at the end of the day. I think it's a good thing to happen. I do think, um, to piggyback off something Tony said, I, my favorite exclusives are ones that play to the performance kind of like boost of the respective console. So once Xbox finally starts optimizing their console, I expect Series X games to look great. I don't think we'll see a lot of PS5 games being brought over just because 5.5 gigabytes a second isn't a speed that a lot of SSDs can do. Um, and hell, like, Ratchet apparently is, like, you, you cannot play Ratchet on anything else but a PS5, from what I've heard. Uh-oh. So, I, my thing is, like, feed that ecosystem. Put put Ratchet and Clank 2016 on PC, get PC people excited enough to buy their PS5 version of A Road Depart. Um, yeah. I would definitely put, I would definitely see of the, of the few games, I would think that, yeah, Ghost of, I think Ghost of Tsushima is a very non-controversial opinion. Um, de- uh, The Last of Us, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I would like a Last of Us PS5 patch or a Last of Us PS5 port before it gets a PC with it. Well, yeah. uh, I think if they're gonna if they're gonna put Last of Us on PC, it, it only makes sense to do it as a collection, in my opinion. Like, so maybe not like what, one and two soon. Yeah. So uh oh. Like, so like both Uh-oh. games basically, but but not anytime soon because like you know Last of Us two is still kind of close. Like it, it it was recently, so so maybe after some time I... they could release both games on PC or something. Maybe when we well, finally I... get that multiplayer. Yeah, the factions, which uh, I'm guessing will probably get announced uh, in the next couple of months. Who knows? Um, I but yeah, I think I think you all have very good points, uh, and 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 I, I asked that question because I I did see some of the outrage that people had with Days Gone, and I I laughed at that because I recall when Days Gone first came out. A lot of people didn't really like the game that much. That was a game where they said, well, it doesn't feel like the quality. It doesn't feel like it's a quality PlayStation title because it needed so many patches when it released. The performance wasn't up to par. Uh, so that's why I was surprised that there was so such an outrage. Oh, this is coming to PC. So I figure I expect that some that same outrage when Last of Us 2 is announced as coming to PC. And, and that'll be funny as well for other reasons. But we'll see. But yeah, I agree with the strategy. And the other last point that I will make is that I know that Sony, I believe it was, um, well, Andrew House is no longer with Sony, if I if I recall. One of the things I recall they mentioned in the past is that they spend so much money on these games, so they need to have some type of return on their investment. So I think them coming to PC after a certain period of time is really good because you want Sony to keep making money so they can keep pumping that money back into the actual first party studios. 
So I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I, I get um, that at the same time, though. I, I feel like, like apparently, The Last of Us Part Two is a hundred million dollar plus game. That game should not be a hundred million dollar. Hmm. When it comes wow. to why? Why? Um, why is it that much? I, just, I mean, it's chunky. It's long. Um, I'm sure the motion matching tech they got from Ubisoft was probably pricey. Um, hmm. What I like about Sony and, and what I would hope they would continue to do are these smaller titles. But then seeing like Japan Studio shut down, it's, yeah, it doesn't give me too much hope that like budget Sony is still going to be around. So. Uh-oh. I don't know. We'll see. I get we'll the see. need to recoup your losses, but not everything needs to be, you know, millions. Of- um, I agree. Hell, I think like what the first three Uncharted were like twenty million a piece, and then Uncharted Four was the one that was like sixty or something. Because uh, they had the uh, engineer from Halo Four who mm. dropped by and, and made it super pretty. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll Alright, so finally. Oh, yo, by the way, uh really sorry about this. I gotta get going. <laughs> I gotta get going. Oh, uh, that's alright. This was about to be the best topic. Yeah, I know. It's like, but I gotta <laughs> get going. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I gotta get going. But I had a lot of fun with you guys, man. So I guess I'll listen to this part as a fan, you know, because uh, Gary, I know you're about to go off. You know? Oh, I know you're about to go oh, off. Yeah. Um but anyway, I want to thank you guys for having me on and for you guys who may not somehow don't know about me, but I'm on the coalition all the time with a throwdown. Uh you can check out Throwdown. We're on YouTube, Twitch, and literally every podcast app on earth as Throwdown Show. Uh I wanna again thank you guys for being on and keep doing the shows, man. And I'll I'll try to be on too, man, because this is fun, man. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about, man. Keep it going, you know. Have a Appreciate great it. Thank, thanks for Thank being you, on, sir. man. I, I know it was, uh, you know, last minute kind of like, but uh, next time we're, it's definitely, you know, going to be more organized from now on. So we'll, we'll have you back, you know. Yeah, I want to be on, man. I want to be on. It's too much. We got to get Austin back, too. Austin, it was great seeing you, man. It's been too long, brother. <laughs> Likewise, man. We'll see each other soon at one of these events. Yeah, you already know. Rich, I'll see you in the chat. You already know. Gary, too, with, with Reggie. <laughs> yes, sir. Good. All right, fellas. Have a good one. Peace. All right. Take Peace care, up. man. Okay. So this is the main event, ladies and gentlemen. The final topic of the show. Um, well, first and foremost, I know we, we saw, you know, PlayStation had their uh, event this past week. We saw the state of play. Know that there's some people have had some. Uh, I've heard some people say they was underwhelmed. I think there was a few games I saw that I was very interested in. So clearly, you know, everyone doesn't have a the same opinion of what they thought of the show itself. But one of the main highlights of the show was the announcement that Final Fantasy VII Remake is finally coming to PS5. There is going to be a version called Final Fantasy VII Remake. It, uh, Integrate, um, and I believe it's coming in June to PS5. Uh, now the issue with this is is that the day after this was announced, we got the announcement that Final Fantasy VII is actually a PlayStation Plus game for March. So, you know, obviously, you know, Square Enix had this dialogue which says if you have Final Fantasy VII remake for ps4 you would be eligible to upgrade it to the ps5 version when it comes out in june however 
when they announced yesterday that uh, the PS Plus that is coming to PS Plus, um, they also was an art, uh, several articles that came out after the fact that stated that the PS Plus version of Final Fantasy VII Remake is not eligible for upgrade on PS5. So basically, that means that if you want to play uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate, you have to number one have a, P- a PS5. And number two, purchase the game. And of course, the other other part of that is the DLC uh, featuring uh, Yuffie, I believe. That is a separate price all by itself. Because I saw that, you know, I saw when they had the graphic up, and obviously this could change later. When they had the graphic up about what they were doing, it pretty much said in there, in the fine print, that that DLC is going to be a separate price. So. With that in mind, with all of this information in mind, I'm curious what you gentlemen's reaction was to this news. And I don't know if you've heard about the PS Plus thing, because that was something that I just found about yesterday, because that's when it was made public. But I'm going to go to you first, Austin, to see what your take is on it, because, yeah, I'm curious to hear what what your opinion is. You're going to me first because you're letting Gary stew. Uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, like, I just bought. I think what, what there was an eighty dollars version, which had it was the it wasn't the cloud statue, but it was the step above the basic like Final Fantasy VII version, mm-hmm. the the thicker box set uh, with the soundtrack. I just bought that one like two months ago, so. I saw the like PS5 re-release, like re-release and announcement, and um, I, I am. I'll put it this way: I am glad. I, I'm viewing it objectively. <clears throat> the PS5 upgrade is a reward or incentive for those who bought the PS4 version. Mm-hmm. So I get not giving it to those who get the game as a PlayStation Plus download. It's not the nicest of moves, but I understand it. It's like, well, you didn't buy the game, you know, so you're not going to get, like, the PS5 upgrade. Um, It's the separate DLC price that, like, doesn't gel with me. I haven't played Final Fantasy VII yet. I'm really excited. I know what they've done with the story. That really intrigues me. Um, I view it a little more casually. Somebody who also, like will dabble with the series and specifically this game um, not as a hardcore fan but as someone who has a, a high level of it. so it's a weird situation where it's like I can see why the hardcore fans would get upset but I also feel like the hardcore fans were going to buy it anyway mm. uh oh Gary I think that's um, directed towards you not necessarily not necessarily <laughs> um but I don't like. It, I don't know. For me, it's it's an enthusiast issue. Like there are certain. Like I have my own actions that I can't necessarily explain. Like God knows if there's a legendary edition of Halo Infinite finally announced, I'm gonna go buy the copy of the game as well as pre-download it on Game Pass. <laughs> I'll buy the game and then like download it, you know, while I can, because uh, I'm a huge Halo fan. If they if they did that for Uncharted Five, like he, I. I'm, I'm a straight man, but I have an undeniable love for Nathan. So I would totally do that with, with Uncharted 5. 
So ultimately, it just comes down to like your level of fandom based on the particular issue at hand.、Mm-hmm. Um, I see the decision from a business standpoint. I do think it hurts the most passionate fans, but at the same time, I feel like the most passionate fans—a good percentage, not all—not to generalize. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a good percentage of the most passionate fans would probably double dip anyway. And it, I, that's a very good point. And, and I will also add that、uh, one thing that we can all agree and agree with is that Square Enix has assured that they are going to get some money one way or another. Either you are going to buy Final Fantasy VII Remake, or you are going to buy the DLC because that DLC is exclusive to PS5. So yeah, they they made sure of that because they confirmed that it's not coming to PS4. That DLC. <laughs> they they are historically very stupid.、Um, <laughs> I haven't played a great I haven't played a great Square game for. A while. I'm not saying they aren't great Square games.、Um, yeah, I just haven't played any Square games for a bit myself. So I look forward to maybe getting into it. But yeah, it, it's like. I, I I know that fandom in that game in particular, especially if you're an OG Final Fantasy VII fan, elicits a very strong and visceral visceral reaction from its fans. Um, it's one of those situations where like I don't think it's my place to pass too much judgment, just because like it, it's it feels like it's a family affair, and I'm not really a part of the thing, so I don't know exactly how much I can say. Or can't say about like what goes down between Final Fantasy VII and its fan, if that makes、yeah. sense. I understand that. So, Gary, now is your moment to shine. What is your opinion on all of this? <laughs> okay, so here's why I'm very disappointed with Square Enix, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you look at Final Fantasy as you know an IP for for Square Enix, right? For a long time, people haven't been happy with it, right? Dating all the way back to Final Fantasy thirteen.、Um, now, I personally like thirteen after replaying it a few times. Like, I actually do like it. I like the whole trilogy. But I'm looking at this from a broad view, and the broad view is that a lot of people didn't like it. They they felt like it 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 didn't add up to you know the level of quality. That we associate with Final Fantasy, the brand.、Um, so a lot of people at that point were unhappy with Square Enix and the direction they were going. Right. So、um, Final Fantasy XIV, the first one was a disaster, but they re-released it as a as a Realm Reborn, and that was very good. So that was a plus for them there.、Um, Final Fantasy XV.、Um, It was okay. It was decent, but it still didn't scratch that itch that you know we've been waiting for for years. Like, because really, like the last, the last Final Fantasy that you could call a classic was maybe Final Fantasy X. Like, I, I consider Final Fantasy XII a good game, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it as a classic.、Um, I just feel like it, it didn't have that, that you know that. Epic that grand feel of the all the old oldest titles like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy you know eight and nine and and ten. 
um, you know, Final Fantasy twelve just it, it it's lacking just a little bit of edge that that made those other games classic, but it's still a, a great game overall. It's still like you know one of one of the one of the best since since uh, since ten, I guess. Um, so so it's still a good game, still worth playing. Um, but fifteen, you know, it it just it was lacking. It like fifteen king, it wasn't you know it wasn't worthy of having that Final Fantasy name. And I also feel like like the characters were kind of bland. The setting was like it was it just didn't make sense because you had like epic fantasy characters and like um, you know just like uh, modern people kind of thing like modern. You know, so like, like there was a clash with the attire, basically. So like, you would have like epic fantasy-looking people next to like a mechanic, a modern-day mechanic, or something like that. Like, it just felt off. Like, and there was no. I've never seen a mechanic that attractive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was just she, she. She is she is very cute and busty. If I'm thinking about the same mechanic you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like you know that one. Like, but it. it they, they didn't explain like why this is a thing like why why is it like this like why is the world you know like if they just didn't do a good job of building that that in you know in-depth law um to the world um and that's what it was lacking you know um and yeah I, I, it just wasn't it wasn't great like it was it was an okay game gameplay wise but story wise it was not good um so so Final Fantasy think- oh go ahead if I may ask, do you think Versus 13 would have been better than 15? I do. I do think it would have been because um, they were playing off of what they did in 13. Like, you know, it was um, they were creating it around the same time. And I guess it was all going to tie in in some way or, or it was going to be based in that, you know, kind of uh, universe. I forget the name. That they had for it, uh, but you know, they were going to be Crystalis Chronicles or something like that. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah. they were going to be closely connected, um, you know, and then you know they kind of had to redesign, rewrite the whole game and stuff. So, um, and I think there was a lot of pressure behind that because they had to kind of like rush a lot of things to make sure the game would release in time, and and I think they ended up cutting things, and yeah. So I feel like that game suffered um, from you know a lot of development and management issues um but it had the potential right but final fantasy 7 remake delivered it was it was the game we've been waiting for you know for a long time um and a lot of people were you know happy with that like um i mean overwhelmingly happy actually like you know a lot of people um, I had reservations, of course, because Seven is such an important game. It, like, it's important to a lot of people's lives. Like, it brings them back to, you know, what they were doing in '97 or whenever they played, right? So, so a lot of people were, you know, were worried about it, but they did a, an amazing job, and it got us excited for what was to come next. And now, this kind of puts a blemish on things because. The, like one of the, the one of the main problems I have with the gaming industry nowadays is that um, companies like are basically predatory now. Like when it comes to finding new ways to milk money from gamers, um, do, you, and do you think they're monetizing nostalgia in ways that 
is unhealthy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think monetizing nostalgia is necessarily a bad thing if it's done the right way. And Final Fantasy VII Remake was a step in the right direction. I mean, I would have liked to have had the whole story in one, but I don't mind, you know, after playing it, I don't mind the approach that they're going with, like, because it did give them, you know, the chance to flesh out a lot of things and create new possibilities. So... I'm okay with it. Uh, they did it. They they nailed it basically. But what I have a problem with here is that I bought the game right. I bought the game on PS4, and although I don't always like the idea of DLC, I should be entitled to whatever DLC comes for that game. Like any new story content or anything that comes out for that game, I should have it on the console that I bought the game for, right? So, but so now they're asking people to upgrade to the PS5 version to be able to, you know, unlock the 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 Yuffie DLC. And um, I should also add as well that Yuffie is actually one of my favorite characters from the original Uh-oh. seven. So, Uh-oh. so I'm extra upset about this. Uh, <laughs> so you're you're asking me to buy a whole new piece of hardware, you know, and rebuy the game or whatever. Uh, wait, do you have to re- you have to rebuy the game as well? Well, you get the you, free. You have to, you're supposed uh, to get a free upgrade as long as you purchased the game and didn't get it on PS Plus. Okay, so so if so, okay, so like you buy the game on PS4, right? And yeah. you, you you get the free upgrade. Do you have to pay again for anything, or you just have, you have to pay the DLC? For the okay, the DLC. Yep. Okay, so so yeah, like. I just don't like the business model because, um, to me, like if you look at other things Square Enix have done lately, so um, they've had the, the Avengers game, and I know that's that's more the the Western side of Square Enix, but mm-hmm. you know it falls in line with the thinking behind these business decisions, and it's all based on you know um, making people spend more money or. And in this case, I'm guessing maybe PlayStation played a part too. Maybe because, um, of course, they want they want people to um, to you know to to buy the PS5, and they know that this is such an important game, and this is one of the games that could potentially get people to buy the PS5. So I'm sure there was some dialogue between the two companies about you know choosing this path, but. I, I just don't like it because, you know, if I buy your game on a platform, I should have access to the DLC on that platform. Like you could, you know, you could mark up the price if you wanted to or, or whatever, but I should be able to play that DLC on that console without having to spend hundreds of pounds on a console. And I can afford the PS5, so I like is you know I might even end up buying it just because like you know I want to play it anyway but I don't have to like it you know I don't have to be happy about it and I'm not like so if you can find one hopefully they <laughs> that's another thing too that's that's another thing like that console is pretty scarce at the moment so I had, I had to kill a man to get mine you killed a man so what I had to kill a man to get mine <laughs> All right, so um, I'm going to chop that part out of the, the podcast. So I don't, don't want to incriminate, you know, anyone. So. 
<laughs> Why is there red on your PS5? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I, I just... I just don't like it's it's one of the, the things I have a problem with in gaming. It's like everything is designed to get you to open up your wallet again in some way. And I don't like that. I miss when you could get you could buy a product, get a full product, and you know, DLC wasn't always a thing, but if it you know, if it has to exist, I understand that there are positives with DLC because you're getting extra content and then also this allows the studios to pay their staff, you know. Uh, give them bonuses and that sort of thing um, so there is you know positives for DLC content um, so but yeah I just feel like you know if I buy the game I should have access to everything on the platform I bought it on like you sh- mm-hmm. you shouldn't be trying to force me to buy a completely new piece of hardware to finish you know the this title um, you know that you've put out that I've already paid money for so that's my biggest problem with you know this direction but you know I, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about it I, I think that's completely uh, completely valid what I fear to happen what I expect to happen is they'll walk back on them and the people who will end up paying the most are the people who are the most excited about it who jumped in day one because um, I see you know that's my biggest problem with digital um, DLC anytime these days is how quickly it gets discounted mm-hmm. I feel like you punish the fans when, oh, you want this? You have to buy it either standalone or with a $7 game. And then, and that's one of the reasons why when I did get a PS5, I was very adamant I wanted a disc-based PS5. Mm-hmm. Because when Sony controls the di- digital marketplace and the digital prices, you don't have the potential competing prices from various retailers. I could see GameStop selling this $70 game for forty dollars a month and a half later, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just going to hurt, especially if they're like, "Oh yeah, Yuffie uh, episode Yuffie finally coming to PS4." It's well, well, damn! I just bought a PS5 to upgrade specifically for this. <laughs> the people who, the people who get hurt the most with these type types of moves tend to be the biggest fans, and I don't think that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree a hundred percent. Um. And and I agree also with what you had to say, Gary. Uh, if you, you spent the money already on the game, it's kind of ridiculous. You would have to pay extra uh, in terms of actually purchasing a PlayStation 5 if you can find one just to play it. And the question I would have for Square Enix is why couldn't this just be a part of Episode 2 as opposed to it needing to release in June? Um that's what the question oh, that, that, that's another okay that's another thing that made me have a problem with it because you like Yuffie um I pronounce it Yuffie by the way um some people might have a problem with me for that I don't know but um yeah that's just how I pronounce it so um Yuffie she doesn't even come into the story at this point in the original like she oh. um she comes in once you leave Midgar, um, and she's actually an optional character in Final Fantasy 7, the original. Um, like, you know, and you can get, there's various times when you can recruit her. But yeah, so basically, this new, the, the, this DLC is basically, um, you know, I'm guessing it's going to be new. It's, it's brand, it's a brand new story, right? Like, it's, it wasn't in the original. And I'm guessing this is going to lead to the moment when, 
she first meets uh, the main characters, Cloud and everything. Um, it's, I guess it's going to show how she ends up in the forest or wherever it is that you, where you first meet her in the original. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it just annoyed me more because it's like either, either you guys are forcing content just to get us to, you know, spend money again and open our wallets again. Or, you know, you're potentially alienating people from something that could actually be good. Like, like for fans of the character, like maybe if, if this is good, you will learn more about, you know, her personal journey and her as a character. And, you know, it's kind of sad that maybe some people will be alienated from that. So uh, there was two ways to look at it there. But, um, but yeah, that, that kind of, you know, just... It just to me, it's just it seems like it's orchestrated for you to to spend money, and this better be worth it. Is is all I'm I'm saying. Like this actually oh, better be good. Um, and I fully and, expect this. To, oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. I was gonna say I fully expect this to be included in it or in like uh, chapter two or part two. Uh, you know, probably along with a PS5 port or like the Final Fantasy VII, the first soldier mobile games that have been ported over, like. They always find this will essentially be, I, I bet, the ground zeros to episode two's The Phantom Bay. You can buy okay. it standalone right now, mm -hmm. but eventually it's going to find a way in a greater pack. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, well, yeah, that that could be a thing. Um, and yeah, so the, the 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 PlayStation Plus thing as well that annoyed me because it's like. It's like okay, you build, you drum up all of this hype by showing this DLC in this game at the state of play, and then I'm pretty sure you got a lot of sales for the game that that same day. Like a lot of people probably bought Final Fantasy VII Remake based on that state of the play alone, right? And then the next day you announce it's coming to PS Plus. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the timing it, it of is. the announcement. All those announcements, all that stuff could have been revealed why, right why, there, uh, up front. Why, why, why couldn't you have just said like you know it would have take it would have took like an extra five to ten seconds or something? Just say, oh, and by the way, this is coming to PlayStation Plus tomorrow. So, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, they, I, I think you're right. The only, I think it's. Oh no! The, the, you know, the only point I was going to add is is where my concern comes in is that I, I'm sure that you know it, some of this news was reported on some sites, but I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of people that still don't know this, and they're going to download the PS Plus version of the game, and when they try to upgrade on PS5 and they're unable to, they'll be very angry about this. I feel like it, yeah, it, it, it feels like this could have and should have been communicated when they showed the game on the actual state of play because it's at, at that point you have the attention of everybody right then and there that would be interested in this game but the fact that they didn't do that is yeah I think that's a bit of a problem right there yeah and they could have cleared up everything right there and then they could have said like yeah it's available on PlayStation Plus you can play it but this doesn't count towards the DLC and the PS5 upgrade. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, they could have just clarified everything. But nope, they chose to wait. And I'm sure a lot of people bought the game after that stream. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. 
But yeah. So, um, but you know, overall, I mean, it it does suck that you know I'm being forced to buy potentially buy you know the PS5 earlier than than I was going to. Um, <laughs> Because I, I was gonna hold off for a while, just because you know I'm I'm not I'm I'm at a state where I'm not playing games as much anymore. So I was really gonna wait until there's you know big something that I'm eagerly anticipating uh, before I buy. But now it seems like I'm gonna be forced to buy it. So they got me essentially. Oh no! Uh, because maybe not. Maybe maybe things will change. You have a change of heart. Said no. I think I'm gonna wait. Yeah, I mean, I, I am going to to listen to the feedback as well, like because if if this is just like some some cheap thirty minute DLC or something like that, then then maybe I'll hold off. So, you know, Gary, I think you need a PS Five eventually for that tall vampire. For that's that, coming, man. For what? That tall vampire lady and those haptic feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Resident Evil Village, Gary. Oh, Resident Evil. Village. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's coming out in May. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean I, I I never maybe you like maybe you'll get me into Resident Evil then because I've never me, I've never been the, into me and the tall vampire lady. Yes, the the, the, the only thing I, I will say about the PS Five, the the controller is yeah. I'm very curious to see your reaction to the controller. The games that utilize the controller very well. It is it is a game changer for the actual experience of playing on the console. So I'm very curious to see how you will react once you've had a chance to try out the controller on a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, pretty, pretty. I, I am you know I am interested in trying the the console and everything. I've heard you know a lot of good things, some some negative things. Um, and I do, like I said, I always intended to buy one eventually. I just wasn't going to rush it, you know. So, so that's the thing. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to try it and see how how the new console feels and performs and everything. So, we'll see, and I'll give my feedback on here once, whenever I do get the chance to. So, sounds good. Sounds good. So. On that note, any final thoughts before we get ready to wrap up the show? I'm ready for an open world Pokemon game. I'm down. I'll be there in 2022. <laughs> that would be great. That would be awesome. Switch. That means Gary going to have to get a Switch also. Get that Switch Pro, man. Get that Switch Pro. Wait for Microsoft to sign a deal where they put Game Pass on Switch. Let's go. My Xbox handheld finally a, re- a real a real thing. I'm down. Yes, I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. I do have, you know, just one. That we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but just one additional question. But do you guys yeah. do you guys see this as sort of a write off year for the the next gen consoles? Like, do you guys think there's going to be a lot of worthwhile um, experiences coming to the PS5 and the the Series X this year? Or do you think like next year is just going to be the year where everything you know kind of just takes off and goes into effect? Because I mean, this is this is like the you know the second year of the pandemic. Things are a lot slower. Um, semiconductors oh. are, are like there's a shortage of semiconductors and other electrical parts, which means a lot of people can't get the systems because you know there's the the parts are scarce. Like you know, um, 
and so, so there's supply issues and everything like that so do you feel like this this year is actually going to take off or is is it, it do you think next year is going to be the the year where next gen really takes off like what do you guys think so can i answer this question first this be uh fairly quick um let me start by saying i'm glad you asked this question because I know that there was a lot of people that said that the state of play was lackluster. I saw people online talking about all of these games they were expecting to get announced the state of play. And, and I think that, you know, obviously we know that a lot of things are hyped. Everyone seems to have higher expectations. But my understanding is that we're still very much in a pandemic. There's a lot of studios that had to change their work stru- structure because of this. And things are not quite in the clear yet. So when I saw the state of play, I I actually thought it was a pretty decent state of play in terms of the expectations of what we actually was going to see. So because at least there was at least about five games that I saw that I said, oh, yeah, this is great. I'll pick this up day one. Uh, So I didn't really have an issue with, with anything. But to answer your question specifically, because we are still going through a pandemic, because there are still changes happening. I think that this year is going to be a little bit better than last year, but I think next year is the year where you're going to potentially definitely see a lot more titles because we already know a couple of games already got delayed to 2022. There was a rumor going around that Horizon is going to get delayed to 2022. I don't know because Sony has not really confirmed or denied that yet, but obviously that's, I would think, would be their fall game for this this year if it is still coming out this year but my thought is 2022 in general that's also the year where developers are finally going to have access to the next uh version of unreal engine so i kind of feel like it's going to be better next year maybe still not quite as good but i just think with every year that passes it's going to eventually get better but to answer your question this year, I think, is going to be better than 2020, but 2022, I think, is going to be the best in, as far as the content for the actual system, if I had to make a guess. Mm-hmm. And Austin? Uh, I think logistically, if you look at those transition years at the beginning of every new generation, it's about two years before you see games that are made exclusively mm-hmm. for yeah. that generation. Um my fear is the pandemic has actually delayed that. Mm-hmm. So instead of like next gen only games being a thing in like 2022, now, late 2022, now we're going to like see them in 2023. Plus, there's a huge shortage. And I think, I, if I recall correctly, um, the PS5 has not overtaken the PS4 in terms of early adaption numbers. The PS4 still sold more yeah. consoles. It wasn't as rare as the PS5. And I know that AMD's got a shortage, so the PS4 had sold more consoles by then, making it easier to go and cut off, like, development super quick. Um, I don't know, like, I can't really confirm nor deny this, but on all authority I've, I've had, I know that Demon's Souls began life as a PS4 game, yeah. and it was turned into a PS5 game, and... It was amazingly polished. 
Um, I look forward to seeing, you know, the next Naughty Dog game that's not held back by 1.84 teraflops of GPU power and whatever their CPU is for the PS4. Like something that can really squeeze all the energy out of a, a 10 teraflop GPU would be amazing, especially with, you know, uh, ray tracing as a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I, I personally, not to be, not to be like, you know, a dissenting voice, but I don't think 2022 is it. I think we've been all, I think everything's been pushed back in terms of like when we would see a clean break from last gen. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think uh, what was shown, I'm excited about. I know something like Kina, I think mm-hmm. looks great. Uh, yes. For me, this year is all about, even if the games are still coming out on previous-gen consoles, this year, to me, has still got a lot of great games. Like, I'm super excited about Halo Infinite, the new screenshots from the other day. Uh, I'm going to play it on my Series X. Um, I could play it on my One, but frankly, I don't want to. I want to be blown <laughs> away. Um I'll be excited. I, I think I'll be playing the best version of the game. And even though more people get to play it on an older console, that's fine. We'll be in a situation in the future where, yeah, like, we will, won't be held back by older tech, and I look forward to that. But I'm happy with what's here now. Um, like, Oddworld, the, the game I got to work on briefly, um, I think Soulstorm, it's coming on both the PS4 and the PS5. And, and I think it is... Regardless of how you play it, I think it's worth playing. Uh, I think there are a lot of games that are coming out this year that that are going to be worth playing. Sorry. And by the way, I cannot confirm or deny this because I don't know, but I did see a report suggesting that's actually going to be a PS Plus game in April. I can see it. Uh, Having some insight into how much money gets traded uh, in those deals, um, Mm -hmm. because if I recall correctly, New and Tasty was also a similar, like... It eventually wound its way up on the uh, PS Plus games list for yeah, one of the months. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, that's correct. That helps developers. A lot of people don't think it does, but it really does. Um, I bought my new and tasty. I hope there's a physical copy of Soulstorm. I'll be there day one on April 6th. But, you know, something like Kina, um, which has been pushed back quite a ways. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm so excited about this year, even though it won't be a next-gen only party quite yet. Even if, I agree. like, Horizon is still, I think, cross-gen. Um, if God of War were cross-gen, I'm less intrigued about the ray tracing, and I'm more intrigued about continuing and continuing Kratos' story, uh, mm-hmm. be it on whatever console it's provided. So, you know... Uh, We'll, we will see games in the future that leverage tech that are exclusive just the PS5 and the Series X and or the most advanced PCs, and that will help with design. We won't see that yet, but I'm still pretty hyped for what we have coming down the immediate pipeline. Agreed. Same here. Yeah. I will say one thing as well. Like, I think um, how <clears throat> the the reception of Cyberpunk 2077, I think that will make a lot of studios um, be a lot more careful (laughs) with releasing games that aren't finished. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more delays moving forward of games because 
I think a lot, uh, yeah. a lot of studios now see that they could be the next cyberpunk if they, you know, continue to, because a lot of studios have, have abused, you know, um, the whole like selling games and then fixing it later, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I think that is going to slow down a lot now. Um, after what happened with Cyberpunk, because uh, you know, um, you know, Ubisoft or whatever, they don't want to be the next CD project, and that it could easily happen to another studio. Um, you know, but- if if they take that risk, so so I think a lot of companies will will delay games and will aim to perfect them before release. I I agree on everything you said, and the point that I would add in is that. Yes, nobody wants to take a risk and release a bad game, but I guarantee you one thing, if history has taught us, it will happen again. And then the question is as to which game, which studio it's going to happen to. But hopefully not Sony, Nintendo or Microsoft. Microsoft played it real smart by delaying Halo last year. So mm-hmm. and it paid yeah. off. It's gorgeous. Like yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but to me the difference was instantaneously noticed. Yeah, because mm-hmm. a sexy sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. We'll see. So, any final thoughts before we get ready to wrap up? No, that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I think we had a pretty thorough discussion, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Square Enix, so, do better, do better, <laughs> yeah. do better, indeed. Try, 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 definitely. Gary's not mad; he's just a... so. <laughs> on that note, uh, definitely want to thank you all for taking the opportunity to to, to join our show today. Want to again give a shout out to you, Austin, for joining. It's an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, give a shout out to Mr. Tony Polanco as well for joining. Um, we have a lot of things that we have been working on. Uh, obviously, I would encourage you to stay tuned to the YouTube as well as, well as the website because we do have more content coming. Uh, as for the gaming related content, yeah, we'll have we have a couple of things in the works. So stay tuned. And again, we will continue to do this show and as well as other gaming shows. Uh, really just depends on if there's anything major that we are interested in talking about that actually happens so uh stay tuned though because we do have quite a bit of content coming but thank you for your continued support um i do want to give a quick shout out to two individuals as well uh shout out to mr anthony frazier uh i know that he's had some family stuff going on so Definitely want to send prayers and well wishes to him that his family and himself are okay. And also want to give a shout out to our good friend, Mr. Kennedy, as well, who has had some family issues as of late. Uh, just want to give a shout out to them. They've they've helped us in terms of what they've done in the past on the website. So want to take the time to acknowledge them. And I hope that things get better for them as well as everybody involved as we move forward this year. Yep. So, indeed. Uh, so, Austin, you have any uh, final shout outs or final words? Uh, shout out to my boy, Zach Lear, who is um, currently uh, in some uh, in, in a tough medical spot. I hope he heals up and 
And I know he's hosting a stream, and I look forward to checking it out and, and watching him play KOTOR 2 in the morning. So, Awesome. Shout-outs to him. And I believe the floor is now yours, Gary, for any shout-outs that you would like to give. Yeah, definitely uh, big shouts to uh, Anthony Frazier and, you know, Kennedy, um, you know, as, as someone who also lost, you know, family member uh, recently, you know, I know that's, that's not an easy thing. So, you know, I wish my deepest condolences to, to anyone who's been in that predicament the past year or so, because, yeah, it's been a really rough uh, year for, for everyone. Um, and, um, also I just want to, you know, I want to obviously give a shout out to, you know, Mr. Austin, uh, Conway and Tony Palombo for, for, for joining us on this return. Um, feels good to be back. And, um, I want to give a big shout out to, uh, to, um, Big Daddy, AKA Marcus, who, who's, who was, you know, a long time <laughs> supporter of the co-op and, you know, of our Patreon and everything. Um, you know, he supported us, you know, for a very long time, even when we weren't producing shows because we were going through things or, you know, our schedules were busy or our schedules didn't align. You know, he continued to support us. So, you know, I want to give him a big shout out because uh, he's he's always been there. Um, and, you know, Absolutely. it feels good to, to now get back to making content. And, you know, I hope he can see this and enjoy it because I know he he, you know, he really enjoyed uh uh, the output that we used to have, you know, with the content and everything. So, so yeah, big shouts to him. Uh, people like that are the reason that, you know, we do continue to make the effort to do this. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And well, it's just always a constant reminder of why co-op is the best thing, best way to do anything. I'm glad the co-op guys are back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. For real. But yeah, that, that's so, pretty much it. Awesome. So, once again, thank everybody for their continued support. Thanks again for Austin, as well as Tony, for joining us. We will definitely have them back on, as well as some other guests that I know have already asked us about being on the show. So, stay tuned. But until then, I hope everyone has a great weekend and a week ahead. And we'll talk to you all again very soon. Stay safe. Stay safe and and big shouts to Big Mike as well who who's been commenting throughout the show. Oh yeah, so <laughs> don't want to forget him. Good man, Big Mike. <laughs> but yeah, peace out, everyone. Stay healthy. Have a good day. Have a good one.